raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You ever been, Jimmy Cook, to... You've been to Vegas, right? Yes. You ever been on a cruise? No. Eddie, you ever been on a cruise? Negative. You been to Vegas? I have. Have you been to the like super new buffet? What's that? The super new buffet? No. It's a buffet that's not just new, it's super new. Like the usually I think it's like super new China buffet? Nope. You been to Ryan's Steakhouse? Nope. You been to Golden Corral? <laughs> yes. Okay. I was wanting to eventually know if you've ever left the house. So any of those places, when you go to these big buffets, you walk up and you're like, what do I dive into first? Do I go with the chocolate fountain? Do I go with the nonstop crab rangoon? No. Do I get some, you know, like rice and, and snow peas? Probably fine. Do I get the little quesadillas? Miniature hot dogs? Mini corn dogs? It's endless, right? Why can't you have just asked him if he's ever been to a buffet? After the third brand didn't work, why didn't you just punt and say, "Hey, Eddie, you ever been to a buffet? How have you not been to, or how do you embarrass me? How do you not know of Super New Buffet, right? Because Jimmy, it's it's emphasis, right? You go for emphasis. Sure. So here's the thing, though: when you go to a buffet, do you ever sit there and you're like, I don't know which one to go with first? There's so many good options here. Overload of options. Sure. Welcome to sports in the United States in late October. There are a million things going on. We've got opening night of the NBA last night. We've got the World Series now set. You've got the NFL. You have college football. you got Jim Harbaugh running around stealing signs in between episodes of Saved by the Bell. I mean, there's a ton going on. And we'll talk about all of it over the course of today. It is Query Company here on a Wednesday. How are you? 93.51075 The Fan. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, and the buffet Eddie Garrison. What if they had nonstop chai tea? Oh my gosh. Unlimited chai tea. <laughs> Would you go with that? Sure. Is it let me ask you this. Because you're a, a drinker of the chai tea, are are buffets beneath you? No. Is that it? <laughs> no. Just went to one I went to a chai tea. I don't know. Now that I'm drinking the chai tea, I believe actually the chocolate uh the fountain is a little below my palate. Is that how that works? I guess. In your world maybe. Are you afraid you're gonna get teriyaki in your ascot? No. No. Is that why you're not not going to the buffet? Why are you bullying me? I'm not bullying you. I'm just asking. You've never in your life been to a buffet? I have. I didn't say that I hadn't been to a buffet. You've I just a- said I went to one the other night. Wait, which one? Where was it? I went to a China buffet. Oh, okay. So you did go to a China buffet. Yes. Just not the super new. Correct. So you went to the older one. I guess so. You went to the somewhat old China buffet. The authentic, buffet. yeah. What happens when the with the super new folk, what happens when somebody opens a place across the street? Is it the more super newer? Kind it's of super super new. <laughs> I guess all right? kinds of trademark the, fights. The spanking, the spanking yeah. new China buffet. A lot of people right? don't think about the dangerous world, the cutthroat world that is copyright of <laughs> That's right. the names of new buffets. I guess right. Uh, last night, NBA got underway. Nuggets over the Lakers and the Suns over the Warriors. Pacers getting underway tonight. Washington Wizards at the Fieldhouse. That game, you can hear, Eddie, you will be operating the board for that game, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, you can hear that game pregame starting at 6.30 right here on this fine radio station. And then, of course, the Colts 
back on the practice field today. So we'll get you first and foremost caught up with that. Shane Steichen announcing today Juju Brents, Braden Smith will not practice. Neither of those a surprise, obviously. Juju Brents is the one with the quad injury that we will keep the closest eye on uh, because that's a position that, you know, who who would have guessed that Juju Brents would be – I think they knew that he was going to be a good player. But, you know, this early on would be that kind of a critical piece that you really keep an eye on. And, you know, with all players, you want to get them back, but you get what I'm saying there. But those two not practicing also – uh, it appears as though they might have another tight end back into the mix. Jelani Woods now, Shane Steichen saying, could be close to returning. Off of IR, he has had a nagging hamstring issue that has kept him out to this point and may be ready to go. Now, last night, the big news with the Colts was the Jim Mercer tweet. And I'm not talking about him getting on an amphibious four-wheeler. Did he go off a ramp this time? <laughs> He went on a rant, actually, is what he did. Uh, Ursay with the following tweet last night that created some waves. Urgent NFL slash Colts news. Number five, quarterback Anthony Richardson surgery today in L.A. was a success. It was a long procedure and his shoulder injury has been repaired. No new surprises were found during surgery. They just repaired what was expected. Anthony is doing well and thanks everyone for the support. Then in parentheses, he says, there is presently no date for his return. Additionally, in the same tweet, the NFL admits and understands that they did not make the correct calls at end of Sunday's Colts-Browns game. I believe we need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. Now, that last part is interesting. And that's the part that is going to jump out and get a lot of people's attention. And I understand it. Stephen Holder with the following today. Stephen Holder we had on the program yesterday of ESPN.com. The pass on the defensive pass interference on Sunday was likely not catchable. Uh, But to the question of catchable versus uncatchable, uh, uncatchable, that is completely subjective. There is literally no metric to determine whether it is catchable or uncatchable. And I agree with that. That's that's the problem. That's what I said yesterday, right, is how do you know that the official's not thinking, okay, if the receiver had not been interfered with, you know, maybe that's designed, maybe he can jump and get that, who knows. It's in the, the blink of an eye to gauge how high the ball is. That ball obviously was was very overthrown. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, but Holder with the following that I think is important. He said, Ursay's stance that all penalties in the final two minutes should be reviewable is likely a non-starter for the competition committee. We've already gone down this road with the experiment with pass interference calls Mm -hmm. in 2019 that had zero support to be made permanent. Uh, the committee chair, Rich McKay, in 2020, quote, we were always fearful of putting a totally subjective play into replay, end quote. I understand why people are disappointed at the end of that Browns game. I understand why people are frustrated at the end of that Browns game and the way it was called. It does not change that the Colts should not have put him, themselves in that position, but they were in that position, and then once they were in that position of vulnerability – the officials appear to have impacted and affected the game against the Colts' best interest. And that's unfortunate, and that sucks, quite frankly. 
However, and I'm speaking long-term and not in the moment, I totally understand and respect where people are coming from, but I would ask you, don't most people, if you really put truth serum in people, and I'm thinking maybe more this is an NBA than NFL issue, but don't most people, Jimmy, at the end of games, at least twice say to themselves out loud, my God, this is taking forever. Let's go. Do we have to review everything? Is that where we want to go? So I'm with you on that. You do hear that from people from time to time, especially in, you mentioned the NBA ranks. College basketball is the worst, especially around tournament time. Oh, it's are like the final two minutes. It's like, yeah. hey, honey, this could take like five minutes. I'll be there. No problem. We can go get dinner. And then it's another half hour it's, before it's, the game's actually over. Literally, it's like when you're watching The Real Housewives and sure. she's like, just five more minutes and they're going to argue. <laughs> they already previewed it. Yes, exactly like that. Two hours later, you're still sitting there. But there is, I've never understood this. There are ways to be efficient and quick about it. And the NBA has had ups and downs since they've instituted challenges. Sometimes it's quick, it's easy and efficient. Other times it takes a little bit longer and it slows down pace of play. If I was on a competition committee for the NFL and I was going to agree to something like this, I would need to know that it is going to be like wherever it's tested. And I don't know if that is involved with the NFL's partnership with was the XFL or whichever league they're partnered up with. I don't know if that's through a partnership there. I don't know where you test it out at, but I would need to know that it's not going to drastically slow down games and extend them further than that's the big thing, because here is one of the really the only challenge the NFL has. Okay, the the NFL is the 800 pound gorilla of American sports. We know this. It's ubiquitous. It is money dominant. It's television dominant. I remember like a handful of years ago when people are like, oh, the NFL, I mean, you know, the, it, there are too many factors going in now that it, you know, it's, it's losing audience. It's okay. Does anybody really believe that? No, no one ever believed that. People that said it didn't even believe it, right? Were there people that temporarily, you know, boycotted the NFL? Sure. And I understand it. I get it. And do I myself at times become NFL fatigued? Yes. I think there was a true, genuine NFL fatigue and a handful of years ago. I, I'm thinking off the top of my head. 2018, maybe, somewhere in there, where all of a sudden it was like America collectively realized, oh my gosh, like we, we go from the Super Bowl right into like the Combine, right into you know free agency and OTAs, right into training camp, right into – Thursday night football, which then becomes Saturday night football, which then becomes Sunday football, and then Monday night football. And I do think that there was some fatigue that kicked in. But like anything else, people kind of adjusted and got used to it. The NFL, even still, managed to survive that ebb and flow of fan interest. There have been a number of, with the National Football League, a combination of a gladiator-type feel to it, of injury, you know, head injuries, and then you know the Junior Seau situation, Dave Dewerson situation, CTE, all of that 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 really became on the forefront of people's minds and threatened the NFL and threatened certainly the numbers of younger kids playing football. And then there were off-field issues and a a, a 
string there of domestic violence, violence against women situations, the NFL has seemingly managed to weather all of those storms and is still the dominant sports story in the American sports landscape. We're thankful for it. It allows us to have fun talking sports every day, right? Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I'm thankful that that they were able to overcome domestic violence. You get what I'm saying. I'm thankful that people have a passion about the NFL. Baseball might be America's pastime, but the NFL is America's passion. Now, Jimmy, all of that said, the one thing, and I'm talking more about younger people, and by that I mean, let's say, 30 and under, the one thing that could be a threat to the National Football League and its popularity in this country, the one thing that could be a threat to the footprint of the National Football League and being absolutely steady in the sand of the other sports. You know, the tide comes in and kind of washes away the footprint of Major League Baseball over time. The tide comes in and washes away the footprint of like heavyweight boxing over the course of time, etc. The one thing that may impact the NFL's popularity and I think has already impacted with people let's say 30 and under is the fact that soccer and other sports you know exactly what the time investment is when you go into it you ask people why do you like English Premier League soccer well first and foremost because I know if the match starts at noon I'm done at two o'clock and I can plan my day around it in the NFL if the game starts at 12 and your wife's like well yeah but you know the the, the Turners are having us over for brunch at at 3 30. Uh, okay, I, I, I think we'll be able to go, but the game might be in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure. The, the, the length and the delay of the end of games and the slow pace, the, the, the amount of non-action taking place in the NFL game is the one thing, I think, more than anything else that is the biggest threat towards the long-term viability of sustaining the 800-pound gorilla of the NFL and non-stop replay, while perhaps important and may benefit the integrity of the game, actually compromises the, the that aspect of it and and that's why one of the reasons Jimmy I would really proceed with caution that could be a contributing factor and I don't fully disagree with you Jake the problem is and we're talking I don't know how far down the line you're talking with this if you're talking about that age group of 30s and unders of maybe the NFL losing some retention I don't disagree that could happen the problem is there's not a competing sport in the same time window that they would lose a viewer to. In other words, there's not like a... Well, there isn't really for Major League Baseball either, but how often do you sit down on a Tuesday night and watch a Major League game in the middle of July? 80% of this country did that in 1960. How often do you do it now? If it's not a team I care about, no. Right. Yeah. Why? Because it's probably too slow, right? Too many games, too slow, right? Yeah. And so... I also like... I like the idea of stakes, like it mattering. And if it's not my team on the baseball side, which is why I don't watch a ton of like regular season baseball, it's not involved with my team. What's at stake for me? I'm watching two teams. They're going to meet each other. Another, they're still going to play 161 of these. Right, why, right, why do I care? Right. I get it. So that's more but for you're me. A, you're a Chiefs fan, right? Yes. So what incentive do you have on a Thursday night to watch the Cardinals and Giants? I mean, I really What's, like I, the main incentive for me is that. I love the NFL, right? And I mean, betting has helped that too. Like, if you like, I understand that's the rabbit no. hole of one hundred nine with it. But that's a lot no, of people right. like me like there's that. No that doubt, hey, there's I don't no have rooting interest, it. but I'll there's, put five bucks on the Cardinals. There's no doubt about that. that that's, there's no doubt about that, right? Um, I just think that 
for and the other thing about the timing aspect, you're right. You never know how long it's going to end in an NFL game or how long it'll go. But you have a general idea, not as pinpoint as soccer. But if the game's at one, I know by about four twenty-five, by that second window of games, it's going to be over. And, okay, and fine, three and a half hours. Sure. In a world today, Jimmy, you've crazy already because seen of the attention span. You've yes, already sure. seen sure. in the last five years the sure. attention span in this country. Sure. I mean. Why is TikTok popular? Because people can do stuff in 35 seconds, Correct. right? Correct. I mean, people like lost their mind with Twitter when it was like, wait a minute, they're gonna they're gonna allow more than a what was it, 160 characters or whatever it originally was. By the way, shout out to Jim Ursay for being a Twitter Blue member, thanks to the Colts. Because without that, that would have been two separate tweets. You're That's right. Big, big. We get all 575 That's characters right. in uh, in one message. So I mean, but but the attention span yes. of America is by the it's an day. instant gratification society. Right. Yes, no doubt. So that again, I'm talking way down the line, but I would bet you, and it's a really small, small, small sliver, but I would bet you that if you were to ask, if you were to do a survey of people and say, if you stopped a thousand people that are on the Las Vegas Strip, sure, and you say, are you a fan of the NFL? And probably out of the thousand people, 980 go, yes, I am. Okay. Of that 980, and I know that we're nuancing severely here, but of that 980 people, if you then said to them, do you find yourself to be a greater fan, equal fan, or less interested fan than you were 10 years ago? Of whatever percentage of people say less, lesser fan, if you then said, what's the primary reason? I would bet you would find more people than you than you expect would say... I just found myself having too many other things to do and the game taking too long. Sure. Which goes back to where you and I agree on this issue, which is that you're cautioning them from doing that because it could extend the games, and I'm conceding the only way I would do it is if you knew it was not going to have a severe impact on the length of games. That can't You can't go in the other direction, right? You can't be as a sports league, particularly one as high profile as the NFL, make games longer than they already are. Right. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And... While I'm also in the boat of I want every call correct, it needs to be done in an efficient manner that's not going to... And it's also unfeasible because human error happens. Correct. I mean, it's kind of part of it, right? And Steven's right in his piece yesterday. We tried this once because the Saints got jobbed in the NFC Championship game by one of the most horrific no-calls on pass interference anybody's ever seen well here's and the then thing. they had an overcorrection they tried it and it didn't work here's the thing and i'm i'm, I'm using jim ursay as an example and i'm sure. not picking on him i'm using it as the example because that's what's right before us right yeah jim ursay introducing that i understand it but why didn't he say that a week ago i mean this is not the first time that there have been bad calls in the yeah. end of an nfl game it's the first time maybe that he felt like it cost his team well that's why he's out there right right but yes. but, but what i'm saying is so is it, I'm not saying knee-jerk, but this is not unprecedented. I mean, bad calls at the end of games, I mean, it, it's not the first time this has happened, right? Yes. So, but it's the first time that, that maybe he felt like truly, you know. Jim Irsay feels like he is in the same ranks, and whether or not people believe this or not, this is, I think, how he feels. He feels, as an owner in the league, he has the same voice, the same pull, the same compelled nature to speak out as Jerry Jones does. He feels like he is one of the owners that is a face of the league. So do I think he's influenced by the fact that it was his team that was impacted? Most definitely he was. But I also think, much like he kind of jumped out there inexplicably in the running back fight, 
he feels like he is a voice of the well, owners. Here's what I think is interesting, Jimmy. If you were to talk to owners of the National Football League during the peak Peyton Manning years, there was a resentment. I'm not saying amongst all, but I can I can assure you on a lie detector test, there were owners within the National Football League, prominent owners, that resented Jim Irsay for two reasons. Number one, he inherited the team. His father owned the team, and Jim Irsay, while he has worked every aspect of the Indianapolis Colts, you know, from the towel boy all the way up, and kudos to him, but I'm not talking about Jake Quarry's opinion. I'm talking about what other owners have have said in conversation about Jim Irsay going back 10, 15 years ago, and that is not that he's a bad owner, not that he's a bad guy, whatever else, but there was always that little asterisk about him that... He did not build a business empire that allowed him to become an NFL owner, okay? And there's a little bit of resentment for that. In addition to that, there absolutely was a jealousy over the fact that he is, an, as an organization and as an owner, not once, not twice, but three times in the last 40 years have had the three greatest quarterback prospects to come out of the draft, all three sitting there when the Colts were drafting number one, John Elway, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Right. And he went from Peyton Manning into Andrew Luck. Are you kidding me? So there was that level of a resentment about him, about Jim Irsay. Then, and Kevin Bowen was the first to point this out, and I thought it was a brilliant epiphany. When Jim Irsay came out and was the first to publicly stand up against Daniel Snyder and say, this guy, we think that we have enough now that we need to boot this guy out of the league. That was Jim Irsay. Now that his team was no longer the dominant team that people felt like fell into his lap and he became just another owner in their eyes based on the fact that I'm what I mean by that is he was another guy who was seeing what it was like to struggle in the NFL to consistently win football games and that brought him back down to the point where that probably made him more relatable to a lot of the owners and the other stuff went on the side and then when he stepped up about Daniel Snyder I think then that was his initiation of yes in fact he is a respected leader amongst us because he's the guy willing to say what others had been silent about and they respected that. And then the running back thing, I think, was Jim Irsay probably maybe even voluntarily taking that responsibility bestowed upon him by the other owners and taking it one step further. And that's where you are now. And then this situation, now when he comes out with this, there may be other owners that agree with him, but I think most of them, Jimmy, are probably going to say, we've been there, done that. But the reason we got to this point, and maybe you disagree with this, but is because of that I don't, I don't know if sense of empowerment is the right word. And by the way, I think he was in the right standing up against Daniel Snyder and how outspoken he was about that. But then you followed up with the running back thing. And now this, would it be fair to assume that he feels like he is a representative of the owners that he feels like he's yeah. probably speaking for yes, a segment of that, the owners? That's what the I NFL. mean. I, I mean, I think that once the Daniel Snyder thing happened, sure. then he probably, whereas he might have gotten a little bit of pushback or eye roll before, he didn't in that situation. So now he feels more, he feels more at liberty to voice the opinion and, and, and feels more that he is a representative. Yes. Like, like he is the, um, homeroom class council representative. Sure. Right. Yeah. But it's not, I don't, I don't see it ever changing again. 
because we tried it once, like I mentioned, with the Saints incident, what, four or five years ago, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when they had the ability to challenge pass interference, I don't know if it was 80% or what it was, but very heavily, the officials, I don't know if it was a, like, they had not necessarily unionized, but they had agreed amongst themselves, hey, we're going to stick with the call on the field more often than not, or if that was the league's office precedent, but more often than not, they stuck with whatever the call on the field was. Very rarely did you see P.I. get overturned, and then they ruled the next offseason, yeah, we don't need this. Right. We're good. Uh, hey, Jake, Ursay isn't the only owner to inherit a team. I never said he was. I'm telling you factually, there are other owners, though, that saw him in a different light because he has never worked a job outside of the organization that he owns and that he became the owner because his father owned it. And none of that is the fault of Jim Hersey. And I think he's done a wonderful job making amends on the errors where his father as an owner failed or, or fell short. Jim Mercer has made a concerted effort to not be his father. But there are other owners, factually, there are other owners in the National Football League that, in particular when Jim Mercer was competing for Lombardi's on a regular basis, that resented the fact, probably jealousy, but they resented the fact that they had built their way up to buying an NFL team. And and Jim Mercer did not, and Jim Mercer was winning. Those are two things that would be really, from a competitive standpoint, that guys you know, would have issue with. I'm curious of this. I have a question for fans as we are right now in this this period of confluence. You've been to Pittsburgh, Jimmy? I've not. Three River Stadium, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, obviously, it's Heinz Field, right? You've got the Ohio, the Allegheny. What's the other river that's in Pittsburgh? It starts with an M. I always forget it. Or is it the Algonquin? Is that it? See answer about having never been to Pittsburgh. <laughs> can you? That was a rhetorical <laughs> I question. I understand. I know. Eddie, can you look up the three rivers in Pittsburgh? <laughs> Allegheny. Oh, I should have known this. Monongahela. I was the trying Ohio to figure out how to say that. Yeah, Mon- Monongahela. How could you forget that? That's one? the one that always gets forgotten, right? Mm-hmm. The Monongahela, the Allegheny, and the Ohio River are the three rivers in Pittsburgh. They they all come together right there in Pittsburgh where Three Rivers Stadium was. So right now we have the three rivers of sports talk, right? You got World Series, you got NBA, you got NFL, all coming together right there in Pittsburgh. So I have a question for fans about, in Indianapolis, the Colts and the Pacers. I have a, a I really need people's input here. I'm relying on the people, the, the members of this company, the employees of this company. I've got a question for you next about the Pacers and the Colts. And then Eric Edholm will join us at 1 o'clock. Dustin Dopirak at 2 o'clock. Loaded show on a Wednesday here at Square and Company, 93.5, The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. So... Jimmy, last night you watched which of the sports options that were in front of you on your television? Primary viewing was on the NBA on TNT doubleheader. Okay. Lakers Nuggets, Warriors Suns, but I did have on the iPad Game 7 and occasionally put that on the main screen depending on where we were in that action. Eddie Garrison? I was watching the MLB playoffs and then I flipped over to the end of the first game of the Lakers- Nuggets, 
game and then went back to the playoffs and then watched Suns and Warriors. I found myself watching, and I have become my dad. When I came to the realization that Philly was not going to win. It was interesting because the whole time, like when it was 4-2, you kind of felt like Philly still had a shot there, right? You know, Arizona kind of answered each time that Philly would seemingly threaten. But I realized that, and I guess this happens to all of us at some point, when you know that you've become your dad or, you know, a te- you know whatever, some, some person of influence within your life. I'm almost embarrassed to admit this because it's so petty and ridiculous. I kind of like Philly. I, I I love the city of Philadelphia. I got a good, you know, I've got friends in Philadelphia. I love the spirit and the the heart of Philadelphia, and just like the grit of the city of Philly, right? I just love Philly fans, the passion, all of it. It's all cool. So in that respect, like I've always kind of the Phillies are like okay, they're okay, and Bryce Harper's a fun player to watch. There's no doubt. Schwarber obviously with the Indiana ties. But I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I will admit. I'm man enough to admit this on the radio, okay? I'm man enough to admit that there is part of me that kind of didn't want the Phillies to win because they all look like slobs. And when I was a kid, I remember my dad telling me, like, you know, the, the Reds, the big red machine, I mean, they were just fabulous. And da, da, da. And, you know, those those Oakland players, I mean, they all had mustaches and beards and looked like slobs and long hair. And, you know, the Reds weren't going to stand for that. And that's why, I like, you know, Indiana basketball, they, you know, they all look like young kids. And st- You know, I, there's something about, like, the professionalism. And I'm, I'm saying this while I'm sitting here in jeans and a T-shirt at work. You know, so who am I? I'm a hypocrite here, right? But there's something about like the professionalism of your presentation that I don't know why. For I, I just found myself like, yeah, you know what? Like Arizona looks like they're just more buttoned down and ready to go to work. Are you just singling out Brandon Marsh in that? Because I feel like he's the only one. Maybe Bryce Harper, if you want to throw into that mix. But Brandon Marsh is the only guy that I can think of off that roster who's got the hair and he's got the the big old beard. Oh, I mean Harper. That I, I there were there are several that have long hair. Yeah, but most of them have a, have it groomed or contained, unlike Harper and I would say groomed and contained is a relative term. I'll put it to you that way. Like I I, I don't know. They, like it almost looked like was it? And, and it's kind of cool. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I thought maybe they it was like some team bonding thing where they agreed to not. You see that sometimes out of teams, right? I, I mean, it's it's really petty, and there's nothing wrong with it. I just found myself for whatever reason, like hey, I don't know. Arizona just looks kind of buttoned down. I like I liked it. And I liked Arizona's boxy last night. Do you no. chalk this up to the second half century of your life? Yeah, kicking in? Is of course. That what it is? Okay, of course. Sure. Okay. Uh, no question about it. Now, you said you are you feel like your dad here. Do you also collect uh, baseball cards or did you collect baseball cards and then do you keep them in your car? I do not. <laughs> that's right. No. My, no, it was the other guy that had the baseball cards. Remember? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was showing them to my dad while my dad was out on a walk. I do wear, but I don't go for walks in a Cubs hat like my dad does, right? Okay. Um, I did collect baseball cards, though, and I still have them. But here's my question last night. So I did watch the Major League Baseball playoffs and the NLCS, which is rare. I mean, you know, there is no doubt. And the ratings are going to be terrible for Rangers and Diamondbacks. You watch. It's going to be historically low television ratings. But here's the question that I have for the fans of Indianapolis. And I know somebody, I I forget who it is that always gets on my case when I tell people to text me. But I need people to text me on this because it it actually is, we are a a publicly shared company, right? Querying company is publicly shared. 
all of you listening are stockholders within the company. So if you have stock in a company, every once in a while you get those really like annoying and weird mailers where you're like, what is this? Like there's a vote that's taking place about like a board member and it's taking place in Flagstaff next week and they want to know if I want to show up. I own two shares of stock of this that I bought in 1998. Okay. But I'm doing a vote right now for the listeners of this radio program because I'm genuinely curious. And I know that this there are ebb and flows of this over the course of the year once the NFL season subsides. But you can send us a tweet at Jake Query is my Twitter handle, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. Jimmy, your Twitter handle is? At the J Cook, T-H-E-J-C-O-O-K. Eddie? At the, not the, but sorry, uh, at Eddie Garrison underscore, E-D-D-I-E-G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. I was looking at a tweet that had Jimmy's handle Is there, a, is there handle another there. Eddie Garrison somewhere out there? Yes, there is. That's why I have to have the underscore at the end. So you were late to the game. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately. Or you can tweet me, 317, I mean, excuse me, text me, 317-523-9288. 317-523-9288. What I would like to know is this. In late October, early November, let's say up until Christmas, assuming that you are a fan in this town of the Pacers and Colts, what is the division or the the slice of the pie in your mind and your conscience of your rooting and level of attention you pay to the two teams? Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40 Colts? Is it 70-30 Colts? Is it 80-20 Pacers? Which way do you lean in terms of your your passion and interest, your your time investment? your time investment and your emotional investment of the two teams at this point in the year. I do think that it changes, admittedly, for the NBA after Christmas. I think a lot of people think of the NBA as starting like at Christmas time. That's when it kind of ramps up because it's a long season. Just wait for that in-season tournament. Yeah. It's coming up here in like two weeks. I have no idea how that works, by the way. And I also think that the NBA picks up momentum in this market in particular when the NFL season is over or when the Colts are like officially eliminated from postseason contention, then I think people shift a little bit. Not 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 intent like not even consciously, just naturally, right? And, and of course you also have the factor of Purdue and Indiana College basketball, Butler College basketball. I get that. But I'm talking about from a professional standpoint in this market right now, at the end of October into early November, let's say up until Thanksgiving, your awareness, your passion your fandom is what 50 50 60 40 70 30 etc and i'm genuinely curious i I would not be surprised if it right now at this point in the year it's like 70 30 colts but i do think that they are two franchises both that have people's interest because they are both clearly on the rise and at the same time as one another and i think people are this is a, a vastly different conversation probably than it was two years ago because of the, direct, the direction and the trajectory of the Pacers and the intrigue that comes with that. And and also, I mean, listen, I can remember years where the Pacers were rocking and rolling and the Colts, I mean, and, and the Colts were the afterthought. I mean, it's, it's, it is, I'm not saying it's a fair weather town by any stretch, but it is a little bit cyclical. I mean, there there were as great as Pacers or as Colts moments have been in this town, and there've been some great, you know, nothing 
will ever be bigger in Indianapolis for the professional sports teams here than probably winning a Super Bowl. I mean, that's pretty nationally. It's obviously the biggest you can get. But the Pacers racers years were also, I think, very dear to people, both in the Paul George era and then before that in the original era. But what would you guess it would be, Jimmy? I think it would be, at this point, going into a season opener, I bet it's 60-40 Colts. But it could quickly change, and the Pacers have the majority of the attention. And the reason is is that there's no Anthony Richardson out there anymore. The Colts have a still relatively easy schedule where they could win some games, but the Pacers are at least appearing as though this is a leap forward year for them. They're young. They're fun. They're fast-paced. If you're an offensive fan of the game, you're going to be entertained on a nightly basis, I feel like, by this Pacers team. It's interesting. I'm getting a lot more Pacer reaction than I would have guessed. A lot more. Now, and and of course, you get the people that are like, well, I'm from such and such. It's 80-20 Browns. Okay. Like I said, amongst if you are a Colts Pacers fan, which is it, right? Yeah. Now, I will say that there are – there would be more – NFL fan there would be more fans of other NFL franchises living in Indianapolis than there would be fans of other NBA franchises living in Indianapolis yeah I'd agree with that that makes sense yeah because like for for example you know for some people the Colts weren't here when they were so much of your fandom develops in childhood right and so like like you're a prime example of that right and you're a Chiefs fan because that's what you were introduced to as a kid for me growing up I was a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan because that was the team we have a team here and then the Colts moved when I was in the sixth grade was the first season that they played. So that you do still have that hangover from a lot of people, I think. Um, whereas in the NBA, you know, most people, you'd have to be pretty – the Pacers were obviously dominant in the ABA days as well. Now you're rooting for who in the World Series? I mean, this is kind of like deciding yeah. between root beer and orange soda, right? I mean, I, you're like I'll, – I'll say Rangers for two reasons. One – there's a couple of former Yankees on there, including Jordan Montgomery, who I always liked. And two, the Rangers have never won one before. And I always can get behind that. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and they were really close, right? Yeah. That's where Eddie? I'm at. What about you? Or Eddie, whoever wants to go first. Eddie? I'd like to see Texas win it just because I like Corey Seager and I like Marcus Simeon. I don't think Simeon's got the level of respect that he's deserved in his career thus far. So, Rangers for me. Okay, if you had... Conrad Brunner, for example, diehard Texas Rangers fan. And you're like, why would why would anybody be a Texas Rangers fan? He is a Texas Rangers fan because he was a fan of the previous franchise that was known now as the Texas Rangers. If you were somebody who had had season tickets for the Texas Rangers in their previous existence, Jimmy, that would mean that you had been a season ticket holder of what baseball franchise? The Senators, right? That is correct. The Washington Senators. Ring nice it up. Good job, Jimmy. All right, Eddie, how about this? The Washington Senators actually, in a different installment, became another Major League Baseball franchise when they moved. Which is that? Oh, boy. Uh, the Expos. Good guess. Expos were an expansion. Ah, shoot. Mm-hmm. It's a good guess. I don't know. Expos, of course, now becoming the Washington uh, Nationals. Right. So American League or National American. League? American. American League? Yep. Uh, uh, here's your hint. Kind of the Pacers of the American League, except for that they have won the World's they have won two World Series, oh, okay. but not in your guys' lifetime. 
Not in our lifetime. But they're like pretty good every year. They they get into the playoffs a lot and then they get beat. Well, that's and not the Minnesota Twins. Oh, it is. It is the Minnesota Twins. Correct. Mm. Now, if you were, this is one of my favorite games to play. If you were a season ticket holder for the Seattle Pilots and you carried your season tickets over to their new location, you would now be a season ticket holder of what Major League Baseball franchise? This is a tough one. I mean, I'm putting you guys on the spot. It's a tough one because they only played a year in Seattle as the Pilots. I'll tell you this. They play in a retractable roof four and a half hours from here and they have have fresh beer. Yeah. Yep. Eddie? Milwaukee. That is correct. The Milwaukee Brewers. Seattle Pilots, now the Milwaukee Brewers. I could do this all day. When were the Pilots? If I had to guess, I'd say 68, Hmm. 69, somewhere in there. Somewhere in that vicinity. 1969. Is that what it is? Yes, sir. Okay, last one for you. If you were a season ticket holder... Neil Brown, noted chef in Indianapolis. I, 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 he said, my kid knows everything about basketball. I go, well, ask him this trivia question. And I was so proud of myself that I knew this question. So proud of myself. And, and his kid immediately knew the answer. If you were a season ticket holder for the Los Angeles Clippers going back to their initial run in the NBA and the initial franchise, you would have been a season ticket holder for what team? The Buffalo Braves. Bing. Ring it up. I know Ring that, it up. I know that because it's one of my favorite alternate uniforms in 2K. The Buffalo Braves? And I was like, what is this logo? And I looked it up and I found out, oh, hey, Buffalo that's imp- Braves. That's impressive. Yep. That is impressive. I wouldn't have got that one. How about this one, Jimmy? Or Eddie, Sacramento Kings. What about them? Uh, if Kansas you City were a Kings. diehard fan of the Sacramento Kings, the initial original team, you would have season tickets right? to wear. Ye- kind of. Okay. Think about the name, Kings. Think about like a cousin of that. Were they they weren't the Royals at one point, Correct. were they? Correct. The okay. Cincinnati Royals be, and then the Omaha Royals, the Kansas City Kings, okay. Sacramento Kings. It's one of my favorite games to play. I'm probably the only one that enjoys this game, but it is one of my favorite games. By the way, I'll give some love uh, to, as you know, I broadcast Ron Colley football games on Friday nights. Uh, David Lauk, Ron Colley's athletic director, who has sent an application to be the Quarian Company athletic director. Yeah, okay. Uh, he we says, need all the direction of <laughs> athletics that we can get. Exactly. Uh, Colts 80, Pacers 20 is his sentiment Shout okay. out coach Lau. Uh, i'll tally up some of these and and look at it and we'll get some of the results of my non-scientific poll when we come back and we'll talk a little nfl power rankings we'll do that and find out where the colts slot in just about 15 minutes it's query company here on a wednesday 93.5 107.5 the fan raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Jake, I took the plunge. Finally pulled the trigger. Hmm. Can I guess on this? Yes. Is this something we've discussed on the show? No, but it's something I have discussed in the past, and it's something sports-related. <clears throat> to this town, in fact. You bought a Pacer shirt. Uh, No, I've had this Pacer shirt for a while. Okay. That's a cool Pacer shirt, by the way. Thank you. Um, does it involve television consumption? Yes. You paid for the Bally's? I did. Okay, interesting, because, Jimmy, in the survey results that I've gotten here, the vast majority of people have said, not vast majority, well, no, probably the majority, have the Colts slightly higher, but but probably 80% of those people have said, however, the Pacers are closing the gap to 50-50 because of their young talent, and now I wish I could see them more on television. 
So tell me what exactly was the package you had to buy. Because my package, I get it automatically. Right. So I cut the cord a number of years ago, and I currently am a subscriber to YouTube TV. Whether it's DirecTV Stream, there's a lot of people that have cut the cord that use a streaming service nowadays. And whether it's, I'm assuming it's a contract dispute, YouTube TV does not carry Bally. Whether it's Bally wants more money, whether that's a fight that's a tale as old as time. So we won't get into that. But I have no way to watch the Pacers other than hopping on a pirate ship and trying to find it in the dark corners of the internet where such games could be found. You could go to a bar as well, Jimmy. You're right. I could. And get but, hammered. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. I suppose I could. You're, you're correct. Okay. Eddie, I could do that at home, though, right? I so mean, aside, even... if you went to the bar, aside from the PBR, what are you ordering? PBR is not because I have a, you guys are obligated to have a loyalty to PBR. If that's not available to you, what are you ordering? I am partial to Line and Kugels. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll go there. Uh, Miller Light or Blue Moon depends on what I'm in the mood for. Do you get the little orange wedge in the Blue Moon? It's the only way you order a Blue Moon. Mm-hmm. It's very chai tea of you. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Do you listen to a lot of air supply? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay. Um, how much, Jimmy? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Here's the, the issue. Okay. How much is it for the Bally? It's package? it's twenty a month. Okay. Which is. I can't remember if it's five or ten. I need to double check this, but it's five or ten dollars more a month than it would be to subscribe to NBA League Pass, which is just bonkers. Now, is, but if you do League Pass, you don't get them because you're blacked out. You have to gotcha, stay in the market. Gotcha. Otherwise, I would have done that. Then that's more on the NBA and their rights agreement. Same thing with the MLB, right? If you're a fan of an out of market team, like I'm a Yankees fan, I'm just using this example. I know no one cares, but when they play the Cubs. The Reds, the White Sox, I can't watch it through MLB.tv okay. because can you let me ask you this. When you when you signed up for the Bally's, sure. That allows you to watch obviously all the basically just Bally programming, right? From what it outlined to me, and this is why I didn't pay the year, which is one eighty. That's what I was gonna ask you is can you is this just for the season? I'm gonna stop or after the Pacers season is done. Correct. I might keep it for the fever because the fever are included there as well, but also are the St. Louis Blues, which I don't care about. So Right. Um, but yeah, I went. It's so not, you do get Blues games. You get the Reds as well. It didn't say that on the Bally Sports Plus package. It gave you the three teams that I get with that subscription, and the Reds weren't on there. So either they don't care enough about the Reds to put them on there, or I don't get them. Either way, the idea, if you are just doing it for the NBA season and you're a Pacers fan, it is a frustrating disservice and a, like an eye-popping, like, yeah, I get it. It's only like five dollars more a month, but there's so many subscription costs that, people already have out. No, it's, that, that is a, I mean, that is a fair critique. The fact that it's cheaper to go buy the rest of the league than it is my hometown team is frustrating. So twenty a month. Twenty a month. Are you going in solo or are you got a friend? I know you do that a lot. I don't know what the regulations are on password sharing, so I will plead the fifth. What is this like college where we spliced cable? <laughs> Are you guys? You guys wouldn't be aware of the. I will say, Jackson Heights Apartments in Bloomington. Uh, we had, I, I think, one person that paid for, like, had the cable bill, and then there were like eight apartments that it was spliced. Through. <laughs> Got a little bit snowy, and sometimes you'd have to call down to, to, you know, like D, and you're like, "Hey, can you get off HBO, please? It's bleeding over into what I'm trying to watch." <laughs> By the way, one note before we get to Eric Edholm, uh, I should have mentioned this off the top. Uh, it is the 83rd birthday of Bob Knight today, and. College is what made me think of that. 
So Bob Knight's 83rd birthday today. I don't think that there is any secret about the fact that Bob Knight's health has not been good. And that has been, um, I think, publicly known since the time. You know, Pat has has divulged a little bit more in some interviews lately about the fact that um, that was part of why it was expedited for Bob Knight's return to Assembly Hall in the game just before COVID, of course and the fact that Bob Knight was entering into a health journey. But I don't think that that is, under any stretch of the imagination, saying anything that, that most people have not been aware. And Mike Woodson kind of uh, further shed light on that when he said that he wanted everyone to pray for Coach Knight uh, during the Hoosier hysteria last week. Bob Knight is obviously an incredibly polarizing figure. No question about it. His legacy is one that is complicated but comes also with an incredible level of greatness and a tremendous contribution towards a lot of joy for a lot of people in Indiana. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time during the time in which he was the basketball coach at Indiana. But Bob Knight's birthday today, 83 years old. Eric Edholm will join us next. Jimmy, as you know, we have, at this point, we and I'm trying to think, so we've been doing this now for how long? A month? Five. Six weeks? Eight weeks? Probably close to two months, maybe, maybe a little more. And all, you start to kind of get in, when you do a new show, it takes a while. You know, it's like the first day of school. Like, you're kind of figuring out who's in your classroom, and you're you're learning your schedule and your locker combination and all that. And you, you, you say to yourself, I just want to get to the point where I forget what day of the week it is, where you're just kind of in rhythm, right? And, and likewise, you have, when you do a show, and I've, you know, done a couple of them, you get certain guests that you then... I'm not going to say it's like getting your favorite substitute teacher, but there are certain guests where very early on you say to yourself, like, that person is a guest on the show that is just a fun rhythm in it. Like, I'd like to think as if this were Seinfeld, they're like Bob Sacramento. They're like a recurring character on the show that people enjoy. And I think that certainly applies to our next guest. Indeed, it does. Joining us once again, Eric Edholm of NFL.com as well as the Eric at Home NFL Power Rankings. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. I, with an intro like that, man, you guys can trash me for the next 12 minutes. That was, that's that's going to carry me well, over. Well, that's what we planned on doing, actually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's fair game. Um, you know, this is, this is fascinating because here's the question, Eric, that always fascinates me. And I was asking these guys this earlier this week, and you'd be a good person to ask. So so I'll start with this one. Give me the team right now that is the poster child of, you know, we're right at that point in the season where we're kind of starting to get into, to use college football terms, separation Saturday, of finding out the pretenders from the contenders. Like now is when you kind of can start to figure that out. Give me the team that's still most befuddles you where you're like I they look like they might be good and I didn't think they were going to be and I'm still trying to figure it out that would be who yeah well Buffalo would be one of them right I mean I they, I think, think Buffalo would be the other way around right like you thought like so in other words a team that you didn't oh. I guess I should have rephrased that a team that Sorry, you thought going into it was not going to be very good and they've gotten off uh, to a good start and you're like I gotcha. guess I'm supposed to be sold but I'm not yet 
Pittsburgh. There you go. Yeah, I, I misunderstood the question for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the Steelers, I mean, like at the rate we're going, you know, even with a couple of blowout losses on there, I mean, that, that obviously tells a little story about who they are, right? They got thrashed at home uh, uh, in week one by San Francisco, uh, beat thoroughly by the Texans, a team that, you know, I think people are starting to warm up to, but not exactly established yet or anything. Um, A couple of, (laughs) I don't want to say fluky losses, but, you know, they've they've certainly taken their time uh, making their move, right? It's like the patient chess player who waits till the the 58th move to actually attack or something like that. They've gotten away with it. They're 4-2. They've been outscored on the season. I think we went through this sort of with the Vikings last year. Everybody's saying, hey, they're 13-4 with a negative point differential. What do we make of this team? Uh, We're not quite there yet, obviously. Smaller sample size and you know, maybe there's there's some potential for this offense to keep growing, but you know they can't keep waiting to the fourth quarter to to win games. As as good a coach as Mike Tomlin is, and you know maybe this gets some coach of the year, but like I just I don't know how they're going to keep sustaining this this pattern in games uh, and keep winning. Okay, so then aside from Buffalo, because that's you know clearly one of the obvious ones, but somebody that for certain, like you almost had just like automatically locked in. You thought, you know what? I'm just this. They're never going to fall out of the top five. I'll just put them there, and and you are now thinking to yourself, okay, what's going on here? Buffalo would be an obvious one. Give me another. Yeah, I mean, I had pretty high hopes for Dallas coming into the season. I mean, I just, I you know, obviously things have, have changed a little bit with a couple injuries and everything, but I, I really felt like that defense was going to be the best unit in the league or, 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 you know, right there with San Francisco. This is my preseason thoughts. Um, and I thought all they really need out of Dak and CD and Tony Pollard and, and a really good offensive line is – above average play, just solid play. Don't turn the ball over and, you know, don't bog down and don't become a field goal offense. I mean, I guess at that point with a, with a great defense, it almost doesn't matter. But, you know, they've, they've been undressed a couple times defensively, Arizona, uh, San Fran. Um, you know, this is a big test from this week. They're coming off the, the big game against the Chargers two weeks ago, rested. I mean, you know, there's, there's still a lot of potential for this team, but I, I – I don't trust them. I, I really don't feel like whether it's Mike McCarthy's play calling, whether it's Dak Prescott's execution, whether it's feeling in the back of my mind like this defense is good but not elite. Uh, there's just there's just too many unknowns with them to really feel comfortable. And I think I have them at number eight. But had the Lions not gotten you know their their clock clean last week, I would have probably had Detroit ahead of them. Eric Edholm, NFL.com is our guest. You walked into my next question, which is we have one of these every week. Who did we yeah. learn more about, the Ravens or the Lions in Baltimore's dismantling of Detroit? I'll, 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 I'll be a little cutesy with my answer and say I think we're going to learn more about Detroit and how they respond from this game. But I think for me the takeaway was, I mean, the, the Baltimore came in and just sort of toyed with them offensively, and the Lions defense had no answers. And, you know, I mean, they've, they've lost a few guys to injury. They don't have the running back to kind of, you know, take time of possession away. They lost Jerry J- uh, Jacobs right before the game. So, you know, maybe something like that was, was due to happen anyway. But, man, all that was missing from this Bucks, I mean, Bucks team, um, Ravens team, excuse me, was seeing this Todd Munkin offense and this Lamar Jackson offense, you know, kind of come together 
culminate into this this product we saw Sunday. I mean, everybody was waiting for it. There were flashes. There were little hints, signs that this could happen at some point. But to do it against a, a really good opponent, I think Detroit is really good in a year where there really aren't you know that many teams that I think you can go great. I'd still put them among them, and they and they took it to them early. And, and Lamar was as good as he's been since at least the first few games of last year, if not, you know, prior to that. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, can they back it up? But I, I think it maybe said more about the the Ravens at this point. Eric Edholm is our guest from NFL.com. His power rankings each week. By the way, the top five teams that he has right now: San Francisco, Kansas City. Philadelphia, Miami, Baltimore. It is not in that order. If you want to know the order of his top five, you're going to have to go to NFL.com to look at his power rankings. Um, Eric, when you talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the enigma that is the Dallas Cowboys that you illustrated there, the bigger roller coaster or more enigmatic feature, A, the Dallas Cowboys season, or B, which kind of quarterback you're getting week to week in Gardner Minshew? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, Gardner's an interesting guy. I'm sure you guys are, are, are realizing that and everybody in Philly did last year and you know Jacksonville when he was sort of the pressed into starting duty there. I mean you get some 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 energy, you get some high moments for sure. The turnovers are a big deal. I mean that's a tough question. Obviously pegged to be the backup, thrust into a starting role. You know, I, that's that's a situation that you know, you don't necessarily foresee, although with a rookie quarterback, you never know where they're going to be at. I mean, the Colts, you know, they, they started out the season so nicely, and you felt like, wow, you know, Shane's making a difference right away. They're weathering the Jonathan Taylor storm prior to his return. You know, the defense has really stepped up in key moments. Zach Moss has been great. So many, so many things developed in a way that I think was really nice that – it's such a disappointment the way this has turned out. Nothing against, you know, Gardner. I think he's, you know, obviously what he did in Baltimore and other points along the way has been pretty impressive. And I've always had a thing for him. I always liked the guy. But playing fast and loose and, and you know, turning the ball over, even on a high-powered Eagles team last year when he had to step in for Jalen for two games, you know, the, the turnovers were an issue as, as good as the, the TD drives were. So, that's just that's just part of his game, unfortunately, and you kind of have to live with a little bit of it. Is there a team, Eric, that you look at, and you know, like Cincinnati, for example, you kind of get the feeling Cincinnati's now finding, you know, they've they've kind of got their footing now, right? And you feel like they're going to kind of slowly tick up from one week to the next. But yeah. is there a, is there a team you look at that is having to modify itself before our very eyes, either stylistically or roster-wise, because a key part of it is not up to par and they're going to have to make adjustments if they want to sustain the start they've gotten off to? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the Bills, well, both both Thursday teams, I mean, the Bills and Bucks are, are playing in Buffalo. And, you know, both teams are kind of in, entering interesting flashpoints. I mean, the, the Bills – had these slow starts offensively, you know, falling behind 11 nothing to the Jaguars and, you know, falling behind 6 nothing should have been a lot more, didn't score until the fourth quarter against the Giants, fell behind against New England 13-3. You know, I think there was this mentality of, well, we can do that because we've got a defense behind us that can kind of save our bacon, and we'll get it in the flow eventually. Everybody knows we will. We'll get Stefan going. We'll, we'll hit a few shots to Gabe and all this, and, Josh will use his legs, and, you know, by the end we'll be all right. That doesn't work anymore without Tredavious White. That doesn't work without Matt Milano. 
you know, Ed Oliver missing a game, Daquan Jones, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they, they've been pretty run thin on defense, and we saw what happened at the end of last year. Great defense all season, kept teams out of the end zone, really fell apart when injuries kind of killed that secondary. So, you know, is that happening again? And remember, Sean McDermott is head coach and defensive coordinator. I mean, he let, you know, Leslie Frazier walk in the offseason and said, I'll take play calling duties. I'll be all right with that. You know, they had trouble with Mac Jones in the quick passing game last week. I mean, that's that's a sign of trouble, I think. So how they adjust not only defensively but offensively to take pressure off that D is going to be big. And, you know, Tampa just not having a run game. I mean, that's not exactly an injury but a development where you're like, look, they started out 3-1, and one, pretty promising. Defense keeps them in games. Baker's kind of hot one week, kind of trashed the next. You know, it's – there has to be some level of consistency there for them to have a chance and, you know, win a very winnable division with the, you know, Falcons and Saints kind of flailing around too. So I don't know, man. I mean, we could be looking at two playoff teams tomorrow night, but we could be looking at two teams that have deep flaws that, you know, really hurt them in the end. Eric Edholm of NFL.com joins us. Eric, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea the AFC is going to have three AFC North teams, but I agree with Jake that I think the Bengals are starting to right the ship, and so even if you lose one of the Steelers and Browns, you'd still be in contention to have three with how the Ravens are playing. When you look at 5-6-7, Steelers, Browns, and Bills, we are near the halfway point. Trade deadline is next week. What are we looking at from the margins in terms of, okay, those last two playoff spots, that's where your win total probably has to be, and who of that group is most likely to get bounced Steelers Browns or Bills yeah great question I mean I think the two North teams you know obviously the Browns right now have injury questions in the backfield they do not sometimes know entering games what to expect from the quarterback position right I mean that that right there makes them a giant wild card and yet they have this defense that at times can take over games I mean it do they need a little luck winning Sunday sure absolutely you know I mean a couple favorable calls Miles Garrett going you know, into the, the, the zone for, for a few hours. I mean, that, that's what it took in a kicker making 50-yard field goal. So they're, you know, they got a lot of factors that, that scare me about them. We talked about the Steelers and all their, you know, quirks as well. I mean, those two feel like the obvious answers, but, geez, we, you unpack Buffalo and you say to yourself, you know, for all the reasons we laid out earlier, I mean, I, I, there's not a team that I fully can – feel comfortable about yet so as good as they've been over the course of the season outscoring opponents by 80 points I mean a lot of that feels like a distant memory right now so the question is whether teams like the Bengals and the Colts and the Jets and the Texans I don't really put the Raiders in any kind of contention right now until I've proven otherwise but those are the teams that are kind of lurking and all of them have issues as well but I think all of them are competitive enough to just be kind of hanging out and see what happens. Because one of those three in that five, six, seven spot, whether it's uh, Browns, whether it's Steelers, whether it's the Bills, I, I would be surprised if the seven teams in the playoffs right now remain the seven teams in, after, after week 18. Okay, so let me ask you this, Eric. I'm going to give you three teams. I want you to tell me. I want you to rank them one through three just off the top of your head, okay. right? Um, in this category, I'm going to give you three teams and you tell me which 
rank them one through three, the best rosters to sustain below average or replacement quarterback play? Cleveland, the Jets, and the Colts. Great question. That's a tough one. All three have played really well defensively. I think, you know, if you were to poll people, most people would say the Browns have the best defense. But again, they gave up some yards Sunday. The Jets have had a couple games defensively where they looked a little out of sorts, but they've been lights out other times as well. I mean, I guess you could say the same for the Colts. Man, that's a tough one. I would say the Colts probably have the steadiest situation, right? I mean, Gardner Minshew started a good number of games in his career. This is not new for him. He's been prepping for this. You know, Zach Wilson still, I think, kind of steadier, but not really you know, explosive to this point. He's avoided mistakes, which is good. We want that. Uh, I mean, the two-headed running back attack, you know, Michael Pittman getting involved every week. I, I can make a case for the Colts. I really can, even even with all the, the speed bumps they've had to endure to this point, because, you know, I think there is the feeling that even if Rodgers is close, him playing this season – is still a pipe dream, I think. I don't realistically think we can expect him back in December or January. Well, playing and playing at at typical Aaron Rodgers level are two different things, right? Right. I mean, even if you get him back, what is he? So, I mean, there's at least a, a, a respectable case for Indianapolis in that situation, sure. Eric, you also do work covering the NFL draft, and I hate having to do this, but since we have you, I want to ask the question. There's the debate of is it better to be a middle-of-the-pack team with like pick 15 versus a, a bad team with a, with a top-five pick. I would like to see the Colts get another playmaker on offense. I can hear an argument for defense, but just for that sake, to give you one focus point, could the Colts get by in still finding a either close to or a player that could be developed into a wide receiver one or a tight end one if they are a middle-of-the-pack draft pick of, like, a 10 to 15 range? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, casual fans will know that, like, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be gone probably by the time the Colts pick, right? And, you know, then the question becomes Washington receiver Roma Dunze, uh, Keon Coleman from Florida State. You know, there are a few guys who could end up right in that range there. So I don't think the idea of getting – you know, an exciting playmaker in the middle of round one is any, any stretch, right? We've seen Justin Jefferson slip to the 20s. You know, we've had other receivers. Dave Flowers has been a terrific rookie this year, and he was, what, 24th or 5th? I can't remember exactly. So, you know, I mean, I think that range, somewhere in between 10 and 25, I don't know where they're going to finish, but, I mean, you know, that that can end up being a pretty fruitful uh, area for wide receivers, depending on the depth of the class, as long as you don't have – you know, two elite guys and a massive drop-off. I don't think we have that this year. I mean, you know, a lot of ground to, to cover before we know who's declaring and all that, but those two guys, Malik Neighbors from LSU too, I mean, he's really good. So I think those three guys are probably the most likely candidates off the top of my head who would kind of factor into that, that, that mid-first round, if you will. And I endorse all three because they can separate. And I think that's really what the Colts need is a separator at wide receiver. Eric, if you had to do next week's rankings specifically, entirely, and exclusively based on uniforms, uh, who who is most helped and who is most hurt by that? 
But, well, you mean by their weekly uniform choices, like what they're going to wear? Their primary. Their, let's say their primary. I'm not talking about the like color rush crap and all that. Just like their primary <laughs> ones. Like like who all of a sudden is like, hell yeah, we just skyrocketed from last week to this week. Yeah, good question. I mean, I'm not a huge uniform guy. Like I like like the classic Detroit Lions uniform. Always good. Like the Colts helmets. You know, I mean, I don't hate the Chargers. I guess I love blue. I just realized that in saying that. But, yeah, I don't I, hey, know if there's one. The, the Raiders would be helped out, right? Because they, they, they would skyrocket up from 24th, which, which is where you have them. Their uniforms are pretty sweet. Classic, man. I love the white. I know people like the black, but the white, for some reason, really kind of pops to I me. Agree. I agree. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, they would have to be the biggest gainers, I would say. Or Chicago Bears, like, you know, classic uniform. I think they would they would certainly bounce up a few spots. Green Bay, you know. Yeah, Carolina sucks either way, right? I mean, Carolina, you only have to move anything. Just keep them right there, right? I, I like it. Teal deserves to be 32nd in my mind. <laughs> Totally agree. I, listen, uh, we should make T-shirts that say, I survived the teal rush of the NBA in the mid-90s. Like, I don't know what was going on there, but it was awful. Just awful. I wish those Charlotte Hornets teams had a different color because they were cool, man. LJ I mean, and, and Muggsy. And how, about when the, how about when the Pistons decided to go with, like, teal and red? And I mean, what are they doing, right? It was awful. Poor Grant Hill. Poor, you know, like, that's just No, no doubt. Sense. Now we know why he was hurt all the time. Yeah, I'm not putting that on. I didn't want to wear the uniform, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Eric, last thing on my end, and I want to have this conversation with you as we continue to have you on reoccurringly throughout the season. Look, I, I stand where I stand with the Colts. I feel like they could maybe fall backwards into a playoff spot because where their schedule is, but I've maintained the Jags are the top of the division. As you've seen them so far at five and two, they appear to be in the driver's seat. I know Houston's back by a game, but do you see them being threatened for the South? It's well, you know they they've got what Carolina coming out of the bye. Um, you know, I think they still have a game left against Arizona, so their schedule doesn't seem really daunting. I mean, if I recall, they had one of the the, the preseason. You know, based on win totals, one of the easier schedules. Colts did too, but um, I guess you'd say all the AFC South teams probably were benefited a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I think Houston, I don't expect them to make the playoffs. I think they'll remain competitive. I mean, everything we've seen since week two has been pretty darn good. I mean, they've, they've, they've you know, C.J. Stroud, the defense, you know, they're starting to figure out ways to run the football a little bit, but – yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not backing down on Indianapolis. I, I definitely underestimated them, I think, early in the season and felt like maybe they were still a little bit farther away than they are. So, you know, maybe this division ends up being a little more interesting. I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if, if a South team gets the sixth or seventh playoff spot. It wouldn't stun me at all. I mean, it's, you know, we, we kind of dumped on this division at the beginning of the year. But, you know, it's, it's proving to be uh, a little more – more durable than I thought it might be. NFL.com is the website. You click on news and then power rankings. That's where you can read Eric's work each and every week. And again, find out who he has in that top five who he considers to be the best team right now in the league. Eric, appreciate it. As always, look forward to talking to you again. All right, fellas. Talk to you soon, man. Again, Eric Edholm of NFL.com and the power rankings. You know, there are also those teams, Jimmy, that just 
you look at it and you go, gosh, I'd totally forgotten about, you know, just, and that's hard to do in the NFL, right? I mean, in the NBA, you get your Wizards or your your Blazers that you just don't hear a lot about over the course of the year. But in the NFL, then you look at it and you're like, Washington, Denver, you don't hear a lot about Denver, right? I mean, they're other than they're, they're terrible and they're, that fan base is right. I can only imagine what it must be like right now to be sports talk radio host in Denver. Just literally four hours every day of like... The Denver Nuggets won yesterday. One on yeah, ring I mean, night. Like, honestly, I, it, it literally is like... I will bet you that there is a midday show in Denver. Do we know the name of the midday show in Denver? It's probably like something like, um, you know, Rocky and the Wolf or something like that. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I know. I understand. Right? <laughs> Do we know the name of the show? Eddie, can you look up the name of the midday show in Denver? I'm trying or to find some. Yes. Uh, Altitude is, I think, the big sports radio station there. So their midday show probably. Field, I would have a field day with Sean Payton. Oh, I would have a field day with Sean Payton every single day for the way he drugged Nathaniel Hackett, and this team is no better off than they were a year ago. That show from noon to three, I guarantee you, is they, they, they start at 12. 12 to 12.20, phone calls about Russell Wilson, okay? 12.20 to 1.20, phone calls about, like, the Broncos' defense. 1.20 to 2.10, phone calls about Kareem Jackson. 2.10 to 2.50, phone calls again about Russell Wilson. 2.50 to 2.52, Deion Sanders news in Colorado. 2.52 to 2.53, uh, Jokic last night had 29. See ya. Back at it again tomorrow at noon. That's the show. <laughs> Did we see the name of the show, Eddie? Can't find it. Hold on. I found the ESPN affiliate, but they they only carry ESPN shows. They don't have anything local. It's probably like, isn't, I think Brandon Cristal, I think might be there. Uh, here we go. Altitude Sports Radio, weekday lineup. Uh, every day. Here we go. Um, the The noon show. Plumas and Hastings from noon to three. Right now, I guarantee you that, and it's eleven twenty-five out in Denver right now. So they got thirty. They are sitting there right now, going over their meeting, their thirty-five minute meeting. And Plumas, I get to Plumas. Plumas is saying, uh, "Should we do Broncos first, second, or third? And Hastings is like, "Yes, and fourth and fifth." And they're two and five. Absolutely brutal. Is that their AM or FM? By the way, because they have a they have a ninety-two FM, and it's called. Uh sports radio dempsey and company is that on altitude 92.5 fm sports radio yes weekdays at their time slot from 10 to noon which would mean noon yeah that's to two here well that's true and then 12 to 3 is yeah well, i was just saying that they have a dempsey and company and they got they've got they got a ton of shows actually moser lombardi and kane starting out in the mornings 7 to 10 three hours that you know they had a radio station in denver that was all broncos radio Literally, I believe like, you told this story before, yeah. yeah. And then after like a year, I think they were like, you know what? We, we ought to mix in the Nuggets and the Avalanche a little bit. A Man. little bit of CU as well. Can you imagine if that was a thing now? <laughs> Pretty much is, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, I like, if, you know, you're, if no that kidding, was the right? standard. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> like Broncos radio at, at noon, like, guys, we won the NBA championship last night. Should we work that in? Nah, to hell with it. Nobody cares. Although they do have the the Nuggets have the greatest mascot in the NBA, and it I love Boomer, I love Boomer, but nobody touches Rocky. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba da ba ba ba. And participating McDonald's for a limited time.
There you go, Eddie. Yes. <laughs> the the sometimes I wish people could see the you're so proud of yourself grin on your face that you come up with from time to time, right? This one wasn't my doing. This is um Todd Meyer. This is air supply. <laughs> He sent me like three different songs. <laughs> I'm all out of, okay. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me think of the others here. Um, it's hard now that that one's in my in my head to like think of other songs. Uh, which other ones did he did he mention? Okay, so that one was Lost in Love. Was that one? Yes. Okay, that was one. All out of love there. Um, and then the nights are better. Even the nights. Yeah. Are Even better. the nights are better. Yeah, it's a great song. So years ago. This had to have been 20 years ago. When I worked at Channel 6, I'm working one day. It's a beautiful day, like that beautiful first day of the spring. You know, you can smell the spring in the air, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's we got it out of the darkness of winter. And I pull into the back parking lot at Channel 6, and Kevin Gregory comes pulling in, who's the greatest dude ever. Kevin Gregory comes pulling in in his brand-new Porsche convertible. He had just brought a, bought a Porsche, and... He's like, hey, like 911 convertible, beautiful car. And he pulls in. He's like, beautiful day for the top down. You know, the first time I can really get out and enjoy my new car. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. He's like, let's, let's take a, I'll take you for a ride around the block. I'm like, okay. And we get in it and get on like Illinois. And he bla- turns up the radio and is blaring air supply on tape. And I'm like, oh, buddy, like, let me just two, just a couple guys driving around in their Porsche convertible listening to air supply on a beautiful spring day. Uh, I have a question for you, Jimmy. I need you to be my moral conscience here, which is a little bit scary. All right. When I did the morning program with Mark Dykton and Kevin Bowen, now, of course, the wake-up call with Kevin and Andy in the morning from 7 to 10 a.m. When I did that, you guys participated in this as well. We had a friendly wager amongst all of us where we we took the teams that were – I can't remember what the the, – criteria was of the teams that we were selecting but i believe it was teams who had an over under win total in major league baseball to be like fewer than 85 or something like that and we each got to pick one team and the team that won the most games then won the wager amongst everybody else kevin took the oakland athletics he was out of it by tax day okay second game of the year but yes tax day works i took the baltimore orioles Cute fella. Cute fella indeed. Mark Dykton selected the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now. Oh, here we go. Okay. (laughs) Here's the question. I've already collected. Sure. I've already collected. And the cute fella Baltimore Orioles, and let's see what they did in the regular season here. Okay. In the regular season, the Orioles, I believe they won 100 games, did they not? I believe so. My, my computer, the, the chipmunk that runs my computer just went on a smoke break, so hang on just a second here. <laughs> Trying to pull up here on our dial-up internet. The Orioles with 101 wins. They, did, they won zero games in the postseason, correct? Yes. The Arizona Diamondbacks, 84 wins. Now, they've won four in the NLCS. That puts them at 88. They won, what, three in the divisional round, or was it best of seven divisional round? Best of seven's divisional, or the divisional's best of seven or five? Best of five. And so, too, because the Diamondbacks have had to win three goes, goes, series, right? Goes three, five, seven. Okay, so CS they, is seven. DS is five. Wildcard's three. Okay, so they have won 
nine games so far, right? So that means they're at 93. So they can't touch the Orioles. But if the Diamondbacks win the World Series, do I owe Dykton back some of the PBR? No. No. It's a regular season bet. Yes. If you want to get him something like to clear your conscience, like a, if you want to hand him a can of PBR, hey, congrats on the World Series. Sure. But you don't owe him a new six pack or a, yeah, it's a regular season now, bet. Here's the other thing. I told Eddie, since I'm going out of town, and Eddie doesn't know it yet, but I have volunteered Eddie since you you have a cat, correct, Eddie? I do have a cat. Yeah. Would you? Like, I actually took a picture of him this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah. What's the cat's name? Is it Chai? So, no. Okay. What's the cat's name? Just T. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not telling you now. <laughs> okay. Well, he's got like three different names. How old is he? Uh, two. Okay. So... So since you are a responsible cat owner, he's a very good-looking cat. That's a calico cat, right? No, he's uh oh, what is he? I can't remember. He's not you, calico. Where did you get said cat? Uh, Olivia got him from the Humane Society in Fort Wayne. He's a very good-looking cat. So since I'm going out of town and I feel really guilty about it and about leaving Boo, my rescue cat, home alone, I've got a, a network of people that are going to be coming by and inter- allegedly entertaining him. And I told him that that I told you that you could come by and and look after Boo. And then the payment is you can drink any beer that's in my refrigerator. But that beer is actually the beer that was given to me from Dykton by from this this whole deal. I can drink my sorrows away that the Rockies run out the team that <laughs> finished with the most wins. The Rockies, by the way, let's see what the Rockies ended up with. They had a decent year though, right? The Rockies, yeah, by their standards, sure. 59 wins. By their standards, yes. Good call there, Eddie. 59 wins. Uh, Pacers, Pacers getting underway tonight, tipping off the season against the Washington Wizards. That game you can hear starting at 6.30 right here on this radio station. Jimmy, I want to go over this again because you mentioned it earlier. I think it's a really important discussion, quite frankly, because I think a lot of people are still confused by it, perhaps apprehensive of it, um, unsure of where to find it. This has been an ongoing debate and discussion involving the Pacers for the last couple of years in terms of the television contract and Bally Sports and where to find games because not every cable carrier offers Bally Sports. You decided, you know what, you're going to go ahead and you're going to watch them this year, right? Yes. I pulled the trigger last night, $19.99 a month, get to watch the Pacers throughout the entire season. Now, which is again... More expensive than it would be to subscribe to League Pass, the NBA's version of Sunday Ticket, to be able to watch all the games, minus the Pacers, because I live in this market. So, allow me to ask a few questions here about this. Sure. And pardon my total ignorance on this fact. Your cable provider, you watch cable television or television in general by what means... It is delivered to your house in what fashion? Uh, YouTube TV, which okay. is a streaming, I don't know if cable is the right word, but yes, that's what I use to get So YouTube channels. TV. Yes. And Bally Sports is not offered by YouTube TV, correct? correct? Yes. Okay. So you then had to go and buy another. So here's a dumb question. When you are watching the game, and I'm asking this because I do think there might be – listen, I know that 90% of you listening right now probably are like, Jake, you're an idiot. But I'm trying to speak to the 10% that, that are confused and maybe like me. And maybe that number is higher than I thought. But when you are watching a Pacer game, 
it's not like a regular channel. In other words, for you, how long does it take for you to go from? That's a different app. Is that correct on your television? Valley, yeah, it's a different app. I mean, but right. it's we're talking probably the amount of time it would take somebody to change a channel or slightly okay. longer. Because I will say this: like when I watch Amazon Prime for Thursday night games. That's an app, and then to go from that back to like a regular cable channel, like if I'm watching, if Thursday Night Football is on, but then there's also a baseball game on TBS, to switch from from Amazon Prime to TBS and back on my television at least takes forever. So you don't have that issue, right? I mean, it's... it's when I say forever, but... I mean I mean a couple of minutes. No, yeah. Or, well, no, maybe no, no. 30 seconds. That's probably about the ballpark. I gotta... So it's not instantaneous. It's not instantaneous. Okay. No, it takes it takes somewhere between ten and thirty seconds, depending on how quickly the app wants to load. Okay, so then, but you did pay nineteen ninety nine a month, right? Correct. Do you have a commitment, a mandatory commitment of time now that you have? In other words, did you have to buy a year or two years or whatever else, or can you break this at any time? Just like YouTube TV with Bally, it's a monthly thing. I can cancel it at any time. Okay, what I did, you could have paid the year, or you're stuck for the year, but I only did monthly now are there other streaming services where bally is part of it i understand and i think we talked about this off air fubu tv which is another competitor to youtube tv you can get it there are certain channels like other national sports channels i can't get through them for the same price point i can at youtube tv direct tv streams another one where you can get bally sports on there and, and if you don't mind me asking youtube tv costs you how much per month I think it's 73 a month. Okay. So that probably is more economical than some of the major cable yes. ones, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and your wife does or does not know that you did this? She does. Okay. Um, it was part of the trade-off that if she was going to allow you to do this <laughs> and pay the extra money, you can't wear the Chiefs ring anymore. That was not involved in negotiations. Why well, was it mentioned? It was not. Okay. Fair enough. Um, the last question I would have for you would be this, and that is... This is how many years did you have YouTube TV and and thus not have Pacer games? We've had YouTube TV since 2020, 2021, three years. Okay. So you've had three seasons where you did not have Pacer games, right? Correct. Again, that look, I, look Le- whatever. There are, yes, legally, okay. yes. So my question is this, though. What was it about this season versus the past two seasons that made you finally say, you know what, I'm going to do this? Well, there's two reasons. One, I'm part of the company, and okay. I want to have a, to... a, I want to have an informed opinion on Correct. what is happening with the Pacers. Two, and this stinks, because I want to clarify this. Like, I don't know that I need to, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, Jeremiah Johnson, Pat Boylan, Kristen Airy on the TV side, of course, Mark Boyle on the radio side, he does a great job as well, but the TV crew think they do a phenomenal job and i love their coverage i don't have an issue with any of them my issue is with bally because i think of course, bally yeah. stinks but understood all that said this is a and this i'm conceding here to bally they've won they've won the battle and they probably won with a ton of pacers consumers as well i conceded to pay more a month than it would cost to have a league pass to get the pacers because i think they're going to be fun bingo enjoyable and electric this year and that makes me mad because that means that the company Bally won. Right. But I didn't have a choice. Can't do anything else. I, I get it. And that is the that is the ultimate, as I have always said, oftentimes, Jimmy, we as sports fans, we are as loyal or as stern 
as the team is good, right? I mean, I get it. Like, I think there are a lot of people. I, I think people are excited about this Pacers team. There, I have seen Pacer teams in the past where people were not excited. People were, it was like, this is going to be rinse and repeat. They're going to be a six seed and get bounced again. I, this is the first time in a handful of years that it feels like going in, people are like, look, I, I want to get in on this because I think they're going to be pretty good. And I do think they're going to be pretty good, and I think they're going to be exciting. And there are some players that are more intriguing perhaps than others. There are others that I think we thought we were going to see a lot of that we may not off the get-go. There are others that we thought we were going to have to wait a couple of years to see what they can do that we're going to see a lot of, like Ben Shepard maybe. I don't I don't know. I'll, I'm curious to see what the rotations are going to be. But I do feel like this particular group, and I'm not trying to be overly bullish on the Pacers, but I – when I asked earlier people to text me from a a zero to one hundred standpoint, um, what is your level of like fifty fifty Colts Pacers like your investment right now emotionally? And most people responded and said it's actually on the uptick for the Pacers for me. The Colts probably the the trajectory of the Colts. I mean, people know the trajectory is high, but without Richardson there this year, they're still invested because people want to see what they have that's going to go with him for next year. But also, the Colts benefit from the fact that there's only 17 games, so you know you have to basically right. invest in each of those games, right? I um, think a lot of Pacers fans, and my bar is higher than most. I think six seed or better is where I want to see them. I don't want to see them in the play in. I want them to be guaranteed a playoff spot. Will I be satisfied and happy if they make the play-in? Absolutely. But I think a lot of people would be fine if they make the play-in and, and get to the playoffs that way. That's a fine avenue for Pacers fans. But they have a nice young core. They have a great group of veterans. They brought in championship pedigree when they went out and got Bruce Brown. And I think the expectation is this is a leap-forward season for them. Are there some areas where dice roll isn't the right word, but reclamation project has happened? Absolutely. Like, Obi Toppin being the type of player that New York drafted him to be would be a massive steal and a huge gain for this no Pacers That There are certain bullets in the chamber for the Pacers where if they fire the right way, they could be a very, very good team in the Eastern Conference this year. But even if they don't, there's a level of anticipation and expectation that hasn't been there the last two years because the team came out and said, it's going to take some time. No, no And doubt. now you're hoping the fruits of the labor are present this season. Uh, hey, Jake, I'm like Jimmy. I had YouTube TV since 2019. No Bally's since then. The price point for the Pacers and Bally's is just too expensive. It does seem high. I mean, for – and again, I guess you get – so you get – when you bought that Bally's thing, it's not a Pacers package you bought, right? It, it in, again, this is the logos they showed on the Bally app when I purchased it. Maybe Eddie's right and the Reds are included on there. I think unless you change it seasonally – which wouldn't make sense because the fever is still on there. It'd be very weird to not put the Reds as a selling point for that package specifically. See, I think you would get the Reds because when I'm in here and the Reds are playing, they're on Bally Sports Indiana. So that would be my assumption well, so, that they would but be that's, on there. But that's over-the-air cable, though. As this, this, to is, this is Bally Sports Plus, and it's specifically packaged towards... Correct. It's more of an a la carte option, right? Correct. And so all that was listed on there was... Pacers fever blues. Here's the thing, Jimmy. I, this is your excuse to just become a diehard St. Louis Blues fan. 
It's like, gee, Jimmy, I didn't know you're a hockey fan. Well, I wasn't, but I figured if I'm paying 20 bucks a month for Bally Sports, I am all in on poker. All chips in, baby. Ads for that St. Louis liquor store that's called Cheap Cheap with the little bird and the blues and then the Pacers, right? Yeah. I mean, same colors, blue and gold, same it, it, colors, it right? It place. Just a blue note. Why not? Dustin Dope, you're at 2 o'clock. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Dustin Dopier, going to join us just a couple minutes to talk about the upcoming Pacer season, some good features he's been doing as well. But before we get to that, when it comes to West 56th Street, Eddie. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., after the Colts' loss against the Cleveland Browns, had made some comments of frustration about his lack of targets. And Pittman Jr., just earlier today, moments ago, as a matter of fact, dealing or, or meeting with, I should say, the local media, addressed his comments about not being happy with his role within the Colts' offense. It was a very frustrating loss, the way that it happened, and uh I've never been a good loser. I'm actually a very poor sport. It's something that I've been working on like my whole life. Um, and it's just hard for me sometimes. And, and uh, when like you lose, sometimes you lose your composure. You like lose your head. And um, and I think I I uh, was a little dramatic like, when I said that. Um, obviously, I am a big part of this offense. Like I lead the team in targets and, and um, stuff like that. So it, you know, like like just like it was out of frustration and. What's interesting to me about that, Jimmy, uh, kudos to him for walking it back a little bit, but uh, I still maintain, I, if you're, if I'm Michael Pittman, I don't think it's – and, and I, this was not the intention there, I don't think. But I don't know that it's entirely bad business for him to kind of plant the, spe- the seed of uh, the potential of being a little bit uneasy about being here. Only because Jonathan Taylor did it and what happened. But what what happened to you with Bally's Bally Sports? <laughs> I, I I gave in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you ended up giving them the you gave Bally Bally Sports told you that in order to watch Pacer games you had to pay a certain amount. Correct. And you weren't going to pay that, right? That was not. And then the product intrigued you more and more, and you could tell they weren't going away, right? No. So what'd you end up doing? I gave them the money. You gave them the money they wanted, right? I did. Okay. There wasn't a negotiation period. I would have loved to have had those negotiations. Yeah, they right. weren't there. Um, look, I agree with you. I think because of the position he plays, you would agree with, there's easy, very easy ways for him to make that clear and use leverage at that position. Sure. And yeah, also, I, I don't think that's a, what that was about. I don't think it was bro. either. Yeah. Um, but also, that's a position that gets unfairly labeled as a diva position. Correct. And his comments looked like diva comments and I never kind of thought that about Michael Pittman Jr. So I I appreciate his his need because he didn't have to do that. You're right. His need to kind of walk it back and be like, hey, it was he the moment. I was frustrated. You could certainly make the case. I'm not saying it's 100% factual, but if you were going to go stereotypically or generically, you could say or make the case that while it may be true that the majority of wide receivers in the NFL are not ego divas, it is also true that the majority of ego divas in the NFL are wide receivers. Yes. Yeah, right? that, that, that's tale as old as time. Right, of course. A- anytime a wide receiver is in the news for complaining about touches or money or whatever, he's a diva, he's a locker room problem. And sometimes there are real examples, but for the most part, it's an unfair blanket that at least 
and I'm sure it goes back, I know it goes back further than this, but like my childhood, T.O. is the prime example of that. Terrell oh, Owens of is the poster child of... Ocho Cinco would be up there correct. too. Correct. I mean, Moss... People forget well, Moss because too, yeah. Moss has had kind of an, an image revamp, but right. people forget when Moss was a player, yeah. you know, he had his issue. I mean, taking plays off and all that, right? Yeah. Great talent, though. Fabulous talent. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. The countdown continues to NBA Pacers opening night. It's the real opening night, let's be honest. Sure, the Nuggets had their ring ceremony. It's a new era of Pacers basketball getting started tonight. You can hear it right here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, Eddie, am I correct in that coverage starts at 6.30? Yes, sir. Coverage starts at 6.30. Tip you, off you take just the rest. after 7 o'clock. There you go. Eddie Garrison will be behind the board. Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill. World's greatest postgame show with Eddie White. It's a whole party. And on the Pacers beat, if you're not following them already, you should. Dustin Dupirak, nice enough to take some time with us. Dustin, does does it feel that way to you on the beat that the rebuild is behind fan and franchise mentality and this is the start of what many hope is a leap forward year? Yeah, sort of. I mean, it, you're you're always rebuilding to get to you get back to the point that you actually want to be at, and they're not there sure. yet. But I do think this is a potentially playoff team. Like this is this is a season that you should you know go to games presuming that they're going to have a chance to win every night, and they're going to win about as much as they lose, and that that gets you in the playoffs. I think um, is that I think this you know they are not afraid about talking about the idea of being a playoff team, and I think that's totally reasonable uh, given where they stand. I think they got two you know a couple of really important pieces. Obviously, you know picked up Bruce Brown. Over top and uh you know obviously got jarris walker in the draft it seems like it might be a little bit before you start seeing uh, a lot of walker i don't know if he's gonna be, be in the rotation on opening night um but all the same they, they addressed some of their issues uh certainly needed a power forward desperately got one that could really run um and play the style of up, the up-tempo offense they want to play you know i think defense is still going to be an issue um because i don't know that they, they they did address that certainly brown helps um but you know there's still i think some shortcomings on that end but they should be better and i think they were there was a chance, I think, if, if they go, um, they didn't lose Halliburton when they lost him for ten games. Uh, there's a chance they'd have been in a much better position and might not have, you know, shut him down toward the end of the year. Uh, and maybe they were they would have been closer to forty or so uh, wins as opposed to thirty five and being out of the playoffs. So uh, they they weren't that far away last year, and I think they're close enough to have taken a leap. Now I don't know that you you, you would say okay, you put them in anywhere near in the top of the East, especially given what Boston and Milwaukee did to help themselves. They just seem to be at, a, at an entirely different tier. Um, but I think they'll be competitive with. The the next year, which I would say would include, you know, Philadelphia, Miami, Cleveland, New York, and I think they're certainly, uh, you know, belong with teams like Atlanta, you know, or Chicago, or, or things like that that were they were playing squads last year. And then imagine Brooklyn's going to tumble a little bit. Obviously, you know, last year they got a bunch of wins with Durant and Kyrie before they blew that up. Um, so there's an opportunity for them to move up. Um, and I think, you know, I, expecting this team to finish eighth in the East, I don't think is crazy at all. Dustin, when you look at this roster. Obviously, we know it's Tyrese Halliburton's team. Obviously, we know that, you know, Benedict Matherin's going to have an increased role. We know, you know, Buddy Heald, et cetera. But give me the five players, not that are your starting five, not that are your five best players, but the five most intriguing storylines in the opinion of Dustin Dopierak heading into this season. Those five guys are who? 
I mean, I still think Matherin's one of them, um, given the greater role, because he's the biggest question in terms of, like, if, if he becomes the second all-star caliber player, you know, then the entire rebuild process accelerates. Um, but, you know, if he doesn't, if he sort of stays where he was a year ago, you know, that slows down. And I think you, you got to look at it as this, this increased role does mean, it mean increased responsibility. It means playing against different, uh, better players, and that's a really key piece. You know, he's going to be one of several guys, you know, just in that starting lineup. Um, you know, it, the focus isn't going to be on him, whereas in the second unit last year, it was like, okay, Matherin's the guy, get him the ball. Um, he's going to have to figure out how he uh, operates next to Tyrese Halliburton all the time. Certainly got minutes with him last year, but has to get a sense, I think, of what he's going to be uh, in a lineup full of scores as opposed to being the guy, the perimeter guy that everybody's trying to get the ball to uh, on the second unit. He's got to defend. I mean, that's really the biggest thing is in a sense they're really putting a lot on him because I mean last year you had two guys that they really trusted to guard uh, top perimeter scores and that was Nemhart and Neesmith and it appears that both of those guys are going to be on the second unit Bruce Brown you know you bring in and he's going to get those top assignments but somebody else has to guard the number two guy and every great team in the league has a number two guy who's really good who's generally all-star quality I mean like you know you got to figure out how you're defending Lillard and Giannis you got to figure out how you're defending Holiday Tatum and Brown uh um, and so, you know, that's not easy. So you need a lot of guys who can be able to defend. And you, so you really need a secondary, really good perimeter defender. And the question is, is Matherin that guy? So he's still number one for me. I know you, you said not starters, but, like, just because of how much bigger his role has to be, how much he has to change, uh, he's still the most intriguing guy for me. I, I You know, I, obviously Brown and Toppin are really interesting. Um, you know, second unit guys, I mean, I'm very interested to see what what they're going to do uh, at point guard with McConnell and Nemhart if they're going to play both of those guys as they did uh together in the last game of the preseason if that's how it's going to be is playing both of those guys are you keeping them hard uh coming off the ball and are you doing that in the second unit what's his role look like um because again it doesn't seem like he's going to start but what what do you do with him because he definitely seems like a guy they see uh, a big future for how do they push him towards his future i think aaron neesmith's an interesting character as well obviously you know he just got his extension um you know it seemed like he was they were going to push him more towards the three seems like they're maybe going to play a little bit smaller maybe put him back at the four how does he do with that um, you know I, I thought so I saw some real improvements in his game on offense uh, you know in the preseason it seems like he's just better slicker at attacking really from above the break uh, what's that look like how is that going to be incorporated in especially if he is playing the four um, you know he's an interesting guy buddy off the bench is an interesting uh, player I think even whatever they do at center is going to be interesting whether it's Jalen Smith whether it's Isaiah Jackson I presume it's not going to be Daniel Tice at this point but it's also interesting what what do they do with Daniel Tyson in the long term? That's intriguing. Walker and Shepard, what if any minutes did they get? Uh, Jordan Norris sounds like he's going to be toward the end of the bench, but he's a talented player. What do you do with him? Uh, there's not a guy on the roster I'm not interested in on some level. Um, so I know it probably went way past five there, but every I think basically everybody's got an intriguing story on this roster, and especially some of the guys that you don't know how much longer they're going to be around because they're going to have a hard time breaking in. Do we know for certain that Buddy Heald is cool with being a bench guy, or is that to be determined as to how he handles it? Right now, if you ask him, he'll tell him he'll tell you he's cool with it. Um, you know, I think it's. I, I would say this. I mean, like obviously, you start playing games and it changes. You know, when guys actually get to feel what that's really like, uh, when they see their minutes get cut, when they see, you know, when, when he gets a sense of just how many minutes he's going to play with Tyrese Halliburton, if that's going to, you know, cut into his numbers. I mean, I'm sure once he starts to see the effect, he might end up being less cool with it. Um, 
or maybe he'll end up being more cool with it. It all kind of depends on how they handle it. Um, you know, it's I, I would just consider it a variable, basically. But at this point, you know, we asked him about it um, on uh, just after the preseason, the last preseason game. He had six of eight threes in that game. It was like, basically, how are you doing with this? He's like, you know, you just got to be a professional uh, about it. And I think he's got motivation, you know, more motivation than he had in Sacramento when things went downhill. Um, certainly, uh, he doesn't want to mess up Tyrese Halliburton's team. You know, those two are really, really close, and he's not trying to go in there and, and blow that up uh, for him because it's, you know, going forward, you know, it, it's it, his, you know, like – Tyrese's success is really important. Basically, that's going to be what the franchise is going to be around. I don't think Buddy wants to leave him with a miserable situation and hold back uh, the rebuild, for one thing. I think uh, he and Rick Carlisle, I think, get along really well. They spent a lot of time together in Dallas in the offseason where they, you know, they both live there. Um, so I think a lot is being done to make sure Buddy is okay with it as he's going to be. And it seems like that's worked out well so far. I mean, I'm sure he's you know, in the back of his mind annoyed that he's gonna be, not going to be starting. I'm sure he's in the back of his mind annoyed that you know, he doesn't have uh, an extension at this point. And there's a reasonable chance that he's going to be either allowed to walk or traded at the deadline. I'm sure he's not happy or thrilled about those things. But by all, you know, all signs so far, he's been being a good soldier about it. Will that continue once game starts, once this hits the air, um, and you see what happens to his numbers, what happens to his minutes, um, you know, how he works in with the second unit, uh, you know, that could obviously change things. But at the moment, I think he's being about as cool about it as, as you can imagine. Dustin DePirek, Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star, is our guest. Dustin, I am bullish on Obi Toppin because if he's able to recapture what he was drafted as in New York, I feel like it could be something that that pushes and accelerates what the Pacers can do this season. From your vantage point, not the draft capital that was given up, because I know there are picks that are four or five years from now, but from what's at stake this season, what are the pros and cons or the ceiling and floor of it works out or it doesn't, and he is the player that he is for Obi Toppin as a Pacers in this kind of one-year tryout with a restricted free agency on him next year? I mean, I think the big thing is it's it's low risk, you know. So basically, I mean, I think if you get, I think what you can sort of guarantee at this point is he's going to work really well in the transition offense, and he's going to be able to get going and get a bunch of fast break dunks, you know. And if you just get that and you get some size at power forward, uh, it's paid off. So it's like basically like everything beyond that is gravy. Um, you know, he's going to be able to shoot the ball from outside. Uh, you know, he's going to, you know, he, you know, he's going to make sure the fans have a good time because, you know, he's throwing down between the legs dunks on the break. Uh, you know, they're, they they got to keep him from leaking out too much uh, and, you know, skipping, getting the dirty work done on the rebounds. But, you know, when, when he has an opportunity to run, he will, and he'll do a spe- spectacular, spectacular job of that. I think he's going to be a really good pick and roll partner uh, with Tyrese Halliburton. And you're going to be able to use both uh, Halliburton and Turner as role guys and the other guy can space. And I think you already saw that um, a couple games ago. They, they, he, uh, Halliburton and Toppin had a roll together, and basically uh, Turner's man tagged off, you know, down uh, down into the paint, and Turner was wide open in the corner for a three. So I think that. Um, that dynamic is all going to be there. And so he's going to get more production than he's ever had in his career. And it's not going to be close. Uh, you know, obviously the question is, you know, can he defend? Um, and he's never not been a traditionally good defender. You just need him to be adequate. I mean, you're not, he's not going to be a great defender. He's not going to be one of the top two guys. He's just got to be able to guard the position reasonably well and not get cooked on, uh, on switches when he's got to deal with, you know, with the smaller guards. It's just, he's got to be something there. And Rick Carlisle believes he could be a better rebounder. And I think that's, that's a little bit of the trade off of, you know, as fast as you are as good as you are on the break 
don't you know break before you try to rebound, uh, basically, or trust that you can beat people uh, getting down the floor, even if you rebound first. Um, but so I think they, you know, he's at like 7.2 rebounds per 36 minutes for his career. They believe he can go way up on that, considering the body, the leaping ability, uh, the the length, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they think he should be way better than that as far as defensive rebounding is concerned, as far as, as far as rebounding on both ends is concerned. So if you get that adequate defense and the shooting and the uh, you know ability to finish in both the pick and roll game and the transition game, uh, it's more than paid off. And so then obviously got to determine what you want to pay him. If you want to give him an extension, I think there's, it's, it's the obvious reasons why he didn't get one before the season. They haven't seen him play yet. Obi hasn't played for them yet. So we don't even know what to ask for. Um, so, you know, like it, it, one way or another for one year, giving up two picks. Uh, I, I think just he, he's definitely going to pay that off and anything you got on top of that is grave and you make a decision after that as to whether he's somebody who fits for your long-term plans. Dustin Dopirak is our guest from the Indianapolis Star. He is covering the Indiana Pacers. Dustin, uh, Ben Shepard, minutes going to be more than we initially thought at the beginning of the year, or are they still going to kind of ease in slowly? Uh, I mean, I think they'll be more than you. They'll be more than I thought at the beginning of the year because I thought he might get buried. Um, to be honest, and he, I thought, had a really, really good preseason and has put himself in the position where you know, if the rotation isn't just a set second unit, then he's got an opportunity to play into that. I think, or at least, have some opportunities if they want to go bigger, if they want to have a little more sort of wing-oriented situation. If some nights they don't want to play Nemhard and, and McConnell together, you know, they, they want another wing out there. I think he might get some minutes because uh, I think they really like how he shoots the ball. They really like his hustle. They, they like his defense. Uh, they've been really thrilled, you know, with what he's done at the preseason. He's really impressing people. And now, so what's that turn out to, you know, mathematically? I mean, I don't think it's going to be, you know, 18, 20 minutes a game. There's definitely going to be a, a substantial amount of games that he does not play in at all. Uh, but I think he'll have opportunities. I mean, I think, you know, right now he might be, you know, number 11. If, if, the, if the second unit is, you know, McConnell, Nemhard, Heald, Neesmith, and Jalen Smith or, or, you know, or another center. I think it's Jalen at this point. If those are your next five, Shepard might be guy number 11. You know, I mean, he might be he might be the, the first sort of option past that uh, at the wing guard positions uh, to come in beyond that. So, I mean, obviously, again, you don't know what that translates into, but over the course of 82, you know, guys get bumped up, guys miss a couple games with, you know, this bruise, this sprain, you know, uh, this strain of some kind. There's going to be opportunities for him to get on the floor, and I think if he can make some shots, uh, you know, he might be able to stick in there. So, I mean, I think he'll have a bigger role than I would have expected. I mean, like right now, he's, you know, closer to playing time than Jarris Walker is. And that's a guy they invested a lottery pick in. Um, so that really just tells you how good of a, of a preseason Shepard had. By the way, speaking of the Jairus Walker thing, which is interesting because it is, Dustin, it would appear, flip-flop from what we would have anticipated coming out of the draft, which would be that Walker was going to be a ready-to-go guy and that Shepard was, was more a, a wait-to-see guy or a let-develop guy. Obviously, Walker's the younger of the two. But hmm. do you think Walker is behind where they thought he was going to be? Hard to say. Um, I mean, I think they're they're just getting a better sense of okay. I mean, he he really is young, and the sort of game that they want him to play is complex. Uh, you know, because you're looking at him and he's drafted on the basis of he's going to be a really good defender, he's going to be a really good creator, he's going to be able to shoot, um, and so he's able to do this at this lower level. And now he's got to take that up a notch and be able to do it at a higher level. And so, just basically becoming the player requires him to become, 
takes more than say it did for Matherin. Matherin was just like, go, get in and just drive as hard as you as humanly possible at the basketball and finish through humans. You know, just if, if that's all you do this year, that's going to be fine. You know, no big deal. Walker's just a different sort of player. I mean, like Walker's, you know, IQ and intellect is going to be, is a big piece of part, part of his game has been throughout his career. And, you know, that requires a little more adjustment when you're taking in all that's required to still be that player at the NBA from what you were in college only for a year in which you were in high school. So, I, I mean, I, I think they probably think he's maybe a touch behind uh, where they thought he would be, but um, not not far. I don't think they're worried about it. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, I don't think it's – and he's certainly going to, I think, get worked in as the season goes on and they start to see him pick things up and everything like that. You know, that just going to be a better better finisher around the rim, a little bit more consistent shooter. You know, it's not that they don't have anything they like. Um, you know, certainly seen some really good flashes, both from summer league and from preseason, um, you know, just with the athleticism, blocking ability, the ability to defend multiple positions, uh, get out there on the perimeter and guard somebody, be able to handle the ball, pass. I think he's a better passer than a lot of people realize. Or, you know, as I think Indiana knew, but I think I don't think everybody realizes how good he is in the open floor as a passer for a guy that big. Um, but I think they can tell that he's still taking it all in. And, you know, there's some mistakes that have been made that they'd like not to have him on the floor for. But, um, you know, he, he's not – I don't think they're going to – you know, I don't think he's going to get buried. I don't think it's something they, they're desperately concerned about. But, you know, I, I, I do think they look and say, well – Aaron Neesmith is more ready, and we want to have T.J. McConnell on the floor right now, and those guys are further ahead, and so let's let this develop a little bit slower. Pacers beat writer with the Indy Star, Dustin DePirac, joins us. Dustin, every year, whenever there's a championship one, you see off-season signings and poaching of teams from said champion, and oh, we've brought in a championship level of pedigree now, and sometimes that gets overstated. I don't think it's been overstated, but it has been mentioned at times with how aggressive the Pacers were out of the gate to get Bruce Brown, and it's clear in terms of media availability, comments made, and practices and whatnot, that yeah, he's a well-liked guy within that locker room, and they're excited to have him a part of the team. How long before on the court, how far into this season before the benefits of a guy like Bruce Brown will be felt amongst both the roster and fans? Well, it better be immediate because <laughs> they need somebody to guard somebody. And it's got to be Bruce Brown. Uh, there's not really another option there. Um, you know, basically, again, like moving them hard and these to the back, like, you know, they have one guy that they really, really trust to guard people, and, and it's Bruce Brown. And so he's got to take the top assignment every single night. I mean, I don't know how huge the scoring numbers are going to be, but he, like, the defense better show up because after that, I don't know who you trust to guard anybody. Um, and so, and he's, it's also his job to kind of help Benedict Matherin grow up. He said, that's something that he's taken on as he really looks at Matherin and sees the body of a guy that can be a great defender, but he's really got to figure it out. And you saw that, I think, last year. And Matherin says he wants to be one of the best two-way players in the league. Uh, and, you know, just sometimes just gets lost on that end. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he can he can be aggressive, but sometimes he gets out of position, gets lost on screen, stuff like that, maybe doesn't communicate as well. And so Bruce Brown is kind of charged with making him better and, and making it so they can trust him to, to take that second major assignment. But, I mean, Brown's going to come in and be expected to guard the best player right away all the time uh and so he's got to be good at it you know i mean he's got to be at least decent that doesn't mean he's got to shut everybody down but he's got to provide some pretty good resistance and he's got you know he's shown that ability i mean he had i think some really good defensive performances uh in the champ you know just on the on the way to the championship and they were you know he was he was guarding top level guys i mean dealing with the rant dealing with the brawn um you know those kind of guys just to get in uh you know to the finals and so i mean I, i can't remember how much he guarded butler or how much not but i mean he had to he had to take on some important assignments defensively and so he's going to know how to do 
do that, but that's it has to show up uh, immediately. As far as the scoring is concerned, I mean, that could go a couple different ways. I think he's obviously got to figure out how exactly to play off Halliburton and when, where he fits because he, he can sometimes, uh, you know, did play a lot of point guard coming off the bench, uh, you know, for the Nuggets in that those playoffs. So he's obviously going to be always off the ball, um, you know, for the most part, always off the ball and got to figure that part out. But I mean, he, I thought, thought he knocked down some shots when he got Halliburton to, clear some space out for him if you see some of that. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know how high the point numbers are going to be, but the defense has to show up immediately because he's going to be the guy that's going to be guarding the other team's best offensive player. Dustin, you I know you went to Penn State, right? Mm-hmm. But you grew up yep. where? Dustin Dopierak, Indianapolis star and the Pacers beat writer. Uh, you went to high school where? Uh, Westmoreland County, so like the county east of Pittsburgh. Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Westmoreland County High School. Uh, who is the Norwin most famous? High, Norwin High School. Norwin High School is the school. Wait, what's the but spell? The name of the school? N o n o r w i n. Okay, Norwin High School. Uh, who is, according to Wikipedia, which is all knowing, uh, in Irwin, Pennsylvania? Who is the most famous graduate of your high school? Go. Doug Plank. Doug Maybe. Plank. Played uh, safety for the Bears. Okay, hold on. Uh, that, let's see. You are correct. Class of 71, he is listed. Um, yeah, it dries up pretty quickly after that. No offense, right? Yeah. <laughs> I probably am the most Google bullet you, boy. You've got, a, you've got a first baseman <laughs> for the Astros, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. J.J. Mat- Matichevic. Now, how about this? That's right. Uh, did you, mm-hmm. What year did you graduate? 2000. So a little before you, you didn't happen to know Colleen Shogun? No. She's an archivist for the United States. I have no idea what that means. What does archivist for the United States mean? Like you just archive everything? Is she a hoarder? They work at the National Archives. I presume they work at the National Archives. And uh, I presume they have something to do with uh, Trump getting in trouble for classified documents. Okay. Um, Paul Doucette from 1990. Do you know him? Oh, Matchbox 20. How about that? What? Did not know. That's Drummer, rhythm guitarist, and backup vocalist for Matchbox 20. Get out. I feel more famous already just knowing that we're connected to that guy in some way. Mark Kritz. No did you know Mark? Former U.S. representative from Pennsylvania's 12th Congressional District? Totally didn't. What's his last name? Uh, Kritz. C-R-I-T-Z. Kritz. Nope. And you were the Knights, right? Yes. Blue and gold. You can take some of your old high school gear over to Marion. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. It okay. Perfectly. Fair enough. They have the same signs and everything. Yes. Uh, Dustin, I'll see you down there tonight. I'll be at the game, and we look forward to talking to you again. But appreciate your time and shedding light on the blue and gold—not just the Norwin <laughs> blue and gold, but the Pacers as well. Appreciate it. There you go. <laughs> Sounds good, fellas. You guys have a good one. That's one of my favorite games, by the way. Who's the most famous person from your high school? Yours would be Eddie, Ann Paris, Aaron Gibson. Hmm. Aaron Gibson, probably. Devin Dumas? Wasn't that his name? I don't know. He was a basketball player at Indiana who got into some trouble after that. I think that was his name. Ron Colley? Jimmy? We've had a couple like couple players make it to the NFL. Most recently, uh, Cole Toner, who played at Harvard. Colt's owner. Cole Toner. Oh, Cole Toner. Okay. Uh, who uh, played for the Chargers and I think the Cardinals, maybe the Texans as well. A couple other spots. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, it is my my buddy and I, Byron, when we do that road trip, we do one of the one of our favorite things when we're driving just middle of nowhere, and we, whenever we pass a high school, we're like, "Oh my gosh, look up the Wikipedia page of the high school and find out who's the most famous person from that school." And it is amazing. I mean, you'll be out in the middle of nowhere, you know, middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and you're looking, and there's a high school, and you look it up, and you're like, "Holy cow!" Like 
some you know famous actress or athlete sure. almost every it, it is funny almost every school that you look up has at least one like major league baseball player or a player that had like a cup of coffee in the major right we've had a couple nfl players roll through recently tommy stevens he went to yep. did, I, was he michigan where did he go to so he committed to iu decommitted before his senior year then he committed to penn state that's right that's um right. and then he transferred from penn state to mississippi state he was in the NFL. And he had a the, nice year at Mississippi State, right? I, he had an okay year. Um, he got nicked up a little bit, so okay. he couldn't. He wasn't fully healthy, but got drafted by the Saints. Was on their practice squad for a little bit, and now he's in the Canadian Football League. Oh, who's he play for? Oh, I'm a big CFL fan. Oh, I should have known. I'm a this. huge fan of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Let me find it. Um, As a matter see. of fact, I was Calgary about, Stampeders. Yeah, and don't like the Stampeders. I saw them play the Cal- the Hamilton Tiger Cats in person once, might I add. Um, and then we had a former <laughs> Louisville Cardinal. Uh, by the name of Lucas McNeil. Mm-hmm. He was an offensive lineman. He went from Louisville. He was in the NFL. He bounced around a little bit um, on practice squads, but nothing other than that in the recent years. Amy Cozard, she was a, uh, a former Olympian with the in the 2016 Rio Olympics as I remember a that. diver. I remember that, yep. That's, yeah, but Aaron Gibson, to answer your question, is probably the most famous athlete from Decatur How many Central. people did you graduate with in your graduating class? 332 other people. There were 333 what in total. What was your class rank? Mine? Yep. Thirty-second? Uh, wow, look, look at the big brain on Eddie. Top 10% of your class. Mm-hmm. Nice. I was class ranked 482, baby. Never been more proud. Out of 483? Uh, close. Yeah. Uh, when we started, here's the problem. When we started, my gra- my, my my class, we had, I think, 1185 or, or just under 1200. Now, see, Jake, I can't be and, outside the And then due the to attrition, 10. all of a sudden, like I fall, I'm like, wait a minute, I was like doing okay there for a while. <laughs> I can't be outside the top 10% of my class and not drink chai tea. <laughs> yes, yes, the chai tea, that's right. It's part of your Ivy League existence. Uh, Jim Mercer had some interesting comments yesterday about the end of the Cleveland-Indianapolis game, talking about the Colts on Sunday, and what he would like to see changed, and we will opine on that next raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor come to mcdonald's and treat yourself to the grandma mcflurry today and participating mcdonald's for a limited time thank you to dustin dopirak for his time by the way doug plank todd byer pointing out part of the influence if you will the namesake are the 46 defense even though plank retired in 82 85 they won the super bowl with that 46 defense being so critical uh jim mercy yesterday had the following tweet this coming out at 9 27 last night on twitter x whatever you want to call it i guess now it's called a post on x i just call it twitter i know doesn't everybody it's like the sears tower anybody Correct. Oh, you know i, was down I call it the xbox tower. that's not what that is <laughs> a gaming console why are you confusing people further no it's the xbox jimmy like you're the j cook oh the xbox okay yeah. all right so it's pre uh facebook dropping the vow okay yeah. i understand hold on nope. uh here we go urgent nfl colts news says ursa yesterday and then there's a little football emoji number five quarterback anthony richardson's surgery today in la was a success it was a long procedure and his shoulder injury has been repaired no new surprises were found during surgery. They just repaired what was expected. Anthony is doing well and thanks everyone for the support. There is presently no date for his return. In addition to that, on the injury front today, by the way, Jelani Woods, Shane Steichen said, is getting closer to a return from a hamstring injury that had him on IR. 
In addition to that, Braden Smith of the offensive line, as well as Juju Brents, not practicing today with their respective injuries. Ursay went on to say the following. The NFL admits and understands that they did not make the correct calls at end of Sunday's Colts-Browns game. I believe we need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. Now, as Stephen Holder pointed out yesterday, also on the Xbox, this has been this is a road that the league has gone down before. And yes, the the defensive pass interference call, the problem there is in terms of it being a catchable ball, that's a subjective opinion. And it's difficult to go back and assess. I mean, I guess you could. The officials made it clear the last go round. To your point, they're they're not going to change what their crew made unless it's blatant. The percentages were very one sided in terms of the call that's challenged and the chances it gets overturned. And Jake, we didn't talk about this during the first segment, but. That's where I would be concerned. I'm okay with taking some time if the call's going to be made right. But if it's still clearly the wrong call and the officials are like, well, we're not going to go against our crew, then you just wasted three, four, five minutes of people's day and extended the length of the game for nothing. And again, the it is not uncommon for a team to request to the league an explanation of calls at the end of a game. And we don't know. I mean, there may have been times where calls went against or in favor of the Colts and against their opponent, and their opponent got the same report about a game that helped the Colts. Chris Jones roughing the pass around Matt Ryan last year. Did they later say <laughs> no. that that was the wrong call? We never, no one ever got any explanation for it. Well, never will. I just, was that was the first one that came to, to mind. Something he said. Yeah. Called Matt Ryan a good man. A man of faith. Yep. No anyway, faith. continue. Yes, it's happened before. Yes. It's happened to every team. Calls have helped them. Calls have hurt them. Committee Chair Rich McKay in 2020, okay, quote, we were always fearful of putting a totally subjective play into replay. That was when they experimented in 2020 with the instant replay. One of the things, and I understand where Jim Mercer is coming from, And I want to go back to what we talked about earlier, okay? If my math is correct, and this is getting a little Freudian, I realize. But let me give you what I I think is a little background here. If my math is correct, Jim Mersey is one of seven NFL owners who, I think it's eight actually, eight NFL owners who inherited an NFL team. There's nothing wrong with that. And he's a good owner. Nothing wrong with that. But that means that there are 24 owners who built a business empire that allowed them to buy an NFL team. I have a struggle. I understand it's not the point, but I just want to bring this up. I have a struggle with most of this conversation because if you're going to nitpick about having inherited a team... Wouldn't you also then have to nitpick with people that acquired their wealth because they inherited the wealth Well, to purchase said team? Yeah. But, like, you're right. There are some that built their empires, but I bet there's also a ton that just happened to inherit the empire and no, then went and got I, the team. I, I think most of the people... Well, okay. I just think it's a gray area for billionaires to be arguing. About. I understand right. it's a larger point. Okay. I apologize for derailing it, but... So what I'm getting at is this. Just frustrates what, me. What I'm getting at is this. I, I know for a fact 
that there are other owners who have said in conversation sure. that there is was i'm not talking about now so let's go back to the late 90s early 2000s let's go back to the time when there was speculation this has a lot there are a lot of tentacles to this but hear me out there was speculation at one point that the indianapolis colts could move to los angeles it was not a very big window of time but there was that time period where there was speculation that the indianapolis colts because of some problems and some issues that they could leave Indianapolis and go to Los Angeles. And I always said at that time, it was going to be very difficult for the Colts to be able to do that because in order to move a franchise, you needed an 80% approval from fellow owners to move. That rule came about when the Baltimore Colts moved in the middle of the night to Indianapolis. The rest of the owners said, wait a minute, we got to make a change here. We can't just have teams moving like that. So it had to be an 80% approval from the rest of the league. Okay. At that time when the Colts were, and I don't think the Colts were the ones that were floating out the possibility of Los Angeles. I don't think Jim Irsay was the one necessarily doing that, but that speculation was there. And I kept saying that's never going to happen at that time because there will always be at least nine owners that are wanting improvements to their stadium, their suites, their lease, whatever it might be. And they know that Los Angeles is their their wild card. That is their trump card. That is their ace in the hole. So they're not going to allow another franchise to move there. And it's no coincidence that the Rams and the Chargers moved to Los Angeles once every other team, once Minnesota and Cincinnati and Cleveland and Indianapolis and, and Houston and all these teams either had a new stadium or had the renovations necessary to improve their existing stadium. Once everybody got their 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 plate full then it was like okay now you can go to los anybody can go to los angeles we don't need that wild card anymore so ursay is a guy that has the winningest franchise in the nfl in terms of winning percentage and total number of wins for a decade and he does so with a generational quarterback that when he retired or, or not retired but when when his when they cut ties. When they cut ties because of health issue, they just transitioned automatically into the next generational quarterback. Many owners would tell you that the three quarterbacks with the highest ranking coming out of college of the last 45 years were John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck, all three of which – now, there are others, I realize, but I'm saying all three of which, though, went to Jim Irsay. That created within some owners a resentment about Jim Irsay. Okay? But – Things changed. And it was Kevin Bowen that pointed out this epiphany, and I thought it was brilliant when he did it, and I think it is still accurate. Things changed a little bit, twofold. Number one, when Luck suddenly retired, and now the Colts are going from Jacoby Brissett to, you know, Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid at quarterback and and mid-tier and stuck in that mediocrity, that vat of quicksand suck in the NFL, Okay. Jim Irsay then suddenly became an owner like the rest of them. He became more relatable to the rest of the league as a, from an ownership standpoint. And they're like, you know what? He's actually kind of more one of us. And then I think he gained a ton of respect from the other owners when he was the one that finally stood up and said what other owners wanted to say, which was that they had to kick Daniel Snyder out of the fraternity. Look, this guy has done too much. We got to blackball him. We got to kick him out. 
When he did that, I think Ursay then got underneath him a little bit of a power that I'm not going to say that, that that elevated him, but I think it gave him more freedom or more bravada to become outspoken about issues where he felt like he was representing all of the owners. I think he liked the fact that they patted him on the back and said, Jim, thank you for saying what we wanted to say. We were wrong about you. You are a good owner. You do have the best things at heart. So thank you for saying that. And then he stood up in the running back deal, at least publicly, and then caved and gave Jonathan Taylor what he wanted. But he tried to to stand up for owners about the NFLPA and running back contracts. And I think in this case... He also, I'm not saying that he's trying to change the way the league is enforced, but Jimmy, I do think that he, that confidence that he gained over all of that transformation amongst his peers is part of the reason why he it floats things out there that perhaps other owners do not. This is one of those that I totally understand and respect why he would do it. I also think that other owners are going to say, been there, done that. We're not going to go down that road again. Does that also mean that Jim Irsay is now on the forefront, by which I mean that later this week, Mark Davis is going to ride a four-wheeler into a pond? Like, is he broken that right. barrier for That's other right. owners as well? Okay. Well, the problem is the four-wheeler might be actually amphibious, but nobody knows about the hair, right? I mean, who knows what's going on with that? 81 times during the 2019 season, coaches challenged pass interference. That was the experimental season after the Saints were, again, robbed of the awful non-call on P.I. Uh, or the uh, Saints were against the Rams in that 2018 NFC Championship game. They overcorrected. 2019, we're going to let you challenge pass interference. 81 times it happened. 13 times was the call changed. 16% of the time. Right. The other thing, I, and this is where I think the owners will lie on this, and I know that this is crazy. Okay? I mentioned this earlier, though. The NFL is the 800-pound gorilla and is essentially immune to criticism or to fan revolt like other leagues have seen. Revolt's the wrong word, maybe. Disinterest, okay? It it was starting to percolate. I think somebody made a good point to me. They're like, Jake, the NFL, people were starting to get an NFL fatigue. And I do believe that because the NFL was just ubiquitous within our American culture on television, in conversation, on radio, and I'm grateful for it. Don't get me wrong. But it became a year-round – the NFL is a year-round schedule by design. Yes. Okay? And somebody made a good point to me earlier where they said just when the fatigue was starting to kick in, and it was real, the numbers were dipping. And you can talk about protests. and Okay, but but part of it was, I'm telling you, just a natural fatigue. I, I mean, I remember people saying to me, like, I don't know what it is, but I just find myself kind of less interested in finding more stuff to do on Sundays, whatever. And then COVID happened. And when COVID happened, we thirsted and we craved for a return to the things that we took for granted. And I think live television sporting events are one of those things that we felt like we had taken for granted and wanted and craved back and that includes the nfl so the nfl picked back up its momentum the the one thing with younger people not 30 year olds not 40 year olds certainly not 50 year olds but with the young people today with fewer kids playing youth football and more of them getting into playing soccer and with more parents becoming conscientious of the health injuries or the health excuse me the health aspect and the injuries of football one of the things that 
is a leading threat to the NFL is the lack of attention span in this country. And I'm not talking about in a week or a month or a year from now, but over the course of time, part of the reason why soccer has become so popular is because with younger people, they know it's a two-hour investment. They know exactly how long the game's going to be. I can go up. You want to watch the game together and meet over at Union Jack at one o'clock on Sunday? You know what? I've got the. I know that the uh, the appraiser from my house is coming over at three thirty. Yeah, sure, absolutely, I can do it. We'll be done at three. You want to do that again uh, on Sunday for the NFL game? Well, I got somebody coming over to take a look at the lawnmower at four forty-five. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be home yet. And I think that the NFL part of the reason why they would block what Jim Irsay is requesting is because Jimmy. The one thing that people despise about the NBA and college basketball at the end of games is how long it takes to review everything. And I don't think the owners want to do that. I think the, the one thing the owners are aware of is they have to be aware of the clock. It would have to be a guarantee that time is not going to be Correct. majorly impacted. And for them to ever go down this road, they would meet, they would need more transparency from the officials than overturning a call 16% of the time. Because you know what happens when you start to disregard the clock? Eddie Garrison goes crazy and tells you it's time for break. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day all focused on opening night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Pacers, Wizards will take over two and a half three-pointers made by Buddy Heald. That at plus 100 on DraftKings. We'll also take over 30 and a half points plus assists. For Tyrese Halliburton tonight. I'm going to lay the five on the Pacers against the Wizards. And last but not least, and I think this happened last game, so this takes away my wind out of my sails a bit, but I've had this premonition for the last two months. Lobbed Obi Toppin to open the game. First basket is your bucket tonight wow. in Pacers-Wizards. Eddie, do you have anything? Is there a specific odds you can get on an Obi Toppin dunk? It's just Obi Toppin first basket, right? I don't know about the dunk, but this is plus 700 Obi Toppin first basket. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at that one, and I'm going to go on the other side of this with Washington. I will take the over for Kyle Kuzma. Oh, no, never mind. I got it at 17.5 this morning. Yeah, it's jumped up three points. So right. it went from 17.5 to 19.5. Uh, I was going to take the over there, but I'm not going to touch it. But instead, I'll take Jordan Poole over 25.5. He's the only one that's going to be shooting the ball other than Kyle Kuzma. So all the offense going through Poole and Kuzma, I'll take over 25.5. All right. So how many does Poole get? 26? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he'll get 26 need, right? or more. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I'm going to be at the game tonight. Uh, Eddie, you will be running the board, right? Yes. So I'll be at the game tonight, and my only request, I just want this once. Like, once this season, I want this to happen. What do you think I'm going to request that people do if they if they happen to run into me at the game, or I run into them? Tell the, tell you that they are part of the company. I just want one and person. And their position. I want, that's correct. I want one person to come up and say, and we'll, hell, I'll mention them tomorrow, but I want somebody to come up and say, hey, man, I'm in the company. Shout that's out, all I want. Shout out to Mike on the south side. I was picking up my weekly Ron Kelly home game pizza at Gallagher's. I'm usually on a mission because I could talk there for hours, grab the pizza, I go home, head back up north. Mike stopped me and said, hey, Jimmy, I'm part of the company. Yes. I said, Mike, thank Love you. Love that. Yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Exactly what I'm talking about. By the way, John's up next. He is um, up in Anderson, I believe, at Harrah's uh, Hoosier Park up in Anderson. So we will throw it out to him here in just a couple of minutes. Wanted to finish by saying again, and I mentioned this earlier in the program, this was like a holiday for me when I was a kid. 
Uh, happy 83rd birthday to Bob Knight, the legendary Indiana basketball coach. There is no question that he is one of the more polarizing and complicated figures in sports. And I know that that seems odd to point out just when simply saying happy birthday, but I don't think there's any secret now that Bob Knight, from a health standpoint, is amidst a journey that has had some challenges. I think Pat Knight has even, in recent interviews, kind of alluded to that. Mike Woodson asking people to pray for Coach Knight during Hoosier hysteria. Certainly at another time, we will go over the polarization and the complication of his legacy. But um, a guy that provided a lot of great memories for a lot of people in Indiana, certainly during my childhood and throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s primarily. Happy 83rd birthday, to Bob Knight, who upon his retirement, of course, was the winningest coach in all of college basketball. All right, Pacers, we'll recap it tomorrow. We'll talk Colts and Saints as well. We'll do it all beginning at noon. Thanks for listening to Quarry Company here, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.